Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With a blast out to left. The one-two. Goldschmidt hits it out to left, and this will do it. And he does it in grand style. It's a grand slammer. A walk-off grand slam. Goldie, the walk-off grand slam. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Kerry Davis with Matthew Rocchio out. Grant Francis is spinning the dials for us this morning. I'm Randy Carricker. 701, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler on a morning CD after which both Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals were named two of the three finalists for National League MVP. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it, it is an amazing thing that, you know, those two guys, I mean, they, that means they hit pretty well. Yeah. They fielded pretty well. They did a lot of things very well this season to be two of three players to be named uh, for the finals for the MVP. Great for them. I think it also means, and I know people might like to, might not want to hear this, I think it means John Mozeliak might have done pretty well. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he did. Maybe the Cardinals organization as a whole did pretty well, has done pretty well. And those two guys are, are going to be staples in your in your organization, hopefully for the next, you know, three, four years and are able to continue to play at that elite level. And 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 eventually it'll generate more wins, more playoff wins and opportunities to make a, a deep playoff run with a, poten- a potential World Series championship because that's why we play the game, Randy. No doubt about it. Nor- Arnato and Goldie joined by Manny Machado as finalists for the MVP award. Arenado had a WAR this year of 7.9 that led National League position players. Goldie was at 7.8. Machado was at 6.8. Goldie hit 317, 35 homers, 41 doubles, 115 RBIs. The numbers just keep coming. That was good enough to earn him the Hank Aaron Award given to the top hitter in each league. Aaron Judge won in the American League. The Hank recognizes the best offensive performer in the National and American Leagues. It was established in 1999 in honor of Hank Aaron. And, C.D., in, in, of the 46 previous winners, 22 were named the MVP that year. I would have thought it would have been a little bit more. That seemed like that's about half. Yeah. You, you would think it would be a little bit more. Um, but I, I think Goldie has a great opportunity. The only concern that I have is when you have teammates uh, fighting for, for a – for yeah. one spot, do they split the vote? Right. And that's the only concern that you would have. But I think more people are going to vote for Goldie than they are Arenado. Arenado played a, had a hell of a season, but Goldie seemed to be yeah. just a little bit more consistent throughout the entire, and a little bit better throughout the entire season. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it all unfolds. I just hope they don't split votes within each other. I, I'm with you there. Other. Goldie second in the National League in hitting. Arenado was sixth in the NL in batting at 293, 11th in homers with 30, fourth in RBIs with 103, tied for 
for third in doubles with 42, fourth in OPS at 891, second in slugging, ninth in on-base percentage, and he equaled a record CD set by Ichiro with 10 consecutive gold gloves to start his career, just the fourth infielder in history with 10 consecutive gold gloves at one position. That is absolutely amazing. He is, he is, you, you said it, Randy, one of the plays you saw this summer was one of the best plays you've ever seen from a third base, and, and you've watched a lot of baseball yeah. in your entire life. Then a month later. And then, <laughs> it was another one. You're like, oh, actually, this one might be. We were arguing because we were watching the top ten plays of the season throughout baseball, and he was, I think, number eight or nine, and, and you're like, there's no way. And then the play that you thought was better wasn't even on right. there. So, you know, when you have a guy that is able to make those type of plays, um, just the play, he, he, he has so much confidence in what he can do getting to a baseball and making the throws off balance and doing all those things. It's fun to watch him and, and potentially will go down as the greatest third baseman to ever play the game. When you have that in your in your repertoire, in your history of your organization, we have the best shortstop to ever play the game. I, you know, one of the best catchers to ever play the game. We have a lot of best, best, first, best baseman. first baseman to ever play the game. It's a lot of first uh, best to ever play a position in this Cardinals organization. And, and Nolan Arenado is going to go down as that is for the third baseman position. Yeah. And, and that's awesome to see. Pretty incredible to think that we might have the two best third basemen. All due respect to people like Brooks Robinson and yeah. Mike Schmidt. It could be that Arenado and Roland yeah. are 1-2 or 2-1. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing that you just the, the, this. And that's why I get frustrated with Cardinals fans, because you don't you have to really appreciate all of the players that have come through here. It may not always you your your second in world championships last I checked in, in all of baseball behind the the evil empire they buy theirs though so theirs don't count we actually earn ours they buy theirs so you don't count theirs you have to appreciate the baseball that you see each summer because there are organizations that don't get this yes we want to go further in playoffs yes we want to win playoff games you don't want to get swept in the in the in the wild card round but. You have to respect what you're seeing from them, these gentlemen each summer because they are putting on a show, and it is fun to watch. Now, Kerry, Brendan Donovan had already won the Utility Man Gold Glove Award. He was named a finalist for Rookie of the Year. He's probably not going to win it. The two Braves guys, Michael Harris, the second, their center fielder, right-hander Spencer Strider are the other finalists. But I've been thinking about this, and we all want all-stars at every position. Everybody yeah. does. Every fan of every team does. Cardinals are going to have Arnauto at third. They're going to have Edmund at short. Brendan Donovan is not a bad player. And with Goldie at first, I believe that this defensive infield is going to be as good as anybody's. Yeah. We don't have the problem is we don't have a guy that is a second base gold glover. We don't right. have a guy that we really know an awful lot about in Brendan Donovan, but he looks like a pretty good player. I in analyzing it, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the Cardinals' middle infield can be good with Edmund and Donovan. Is it going to be what it was with Ozzie and Tom Herr? Probably not. No. But when you compare to other teams right now, right. I really like what the Cardinals have. And I think the Cardinals like what they have. I mean, we've had a lot of discussion about will the Cardinals spend on a shortstop this offseason. It seems to be that the catcher position is the position that they are uh, focused on first, and first, and that's the position that they want to go after um, because they feel very comfortable with Tommy Edmond, with Brendan Donovan, with Nolan Gorman, and potentially Mason Wynn, you know, if, if and when he arrives uh, next summer. I think they're comfortable with what they have. And so if you can find that guy behind the plate that can, as you said, control a, a, a pitching staff and can 
hopefully come up in timely situations and get hits. That's what you want more so than, than the, the middle infield because you're confident in what you have with those guys. Now, free agency starts at 4 o'clock St. Louis time this afternoon. Yesterday, Ken Rosenthal wrote in The Athletic that the Athletics are going to trade their catcher, Sean Murphy, who's one of the three or four best in all of baseball. If the Cardinals are going to get a catcher, and Sean Murphy has been a pretty good offensive performer, are they better off signing a guy like Contreras? Who's, Contreras is going to hit you 22, 23, 24, 25 home runs but he's not going to be that great defensive catcher. Murphy might be a 15 to 20 homer guy, but he's going to be excellent defensively and he's going to have great command of the pitching staff. So if you're the Cardinals and the A's are going to want prospects like Gorman, maybe Matthew Libertor or another of their young pitchers, Michael McGreevy, who was their first rounder in 2021, because of the desperate need the Cardinals have for a catcher, I may be inclined to go there. Sean Murphy's younger. He's 28. He, he is an all-around better player than Contreras. But what the Cardinals have told me is that they think they have a really unique opportunity to get big-time thump behind the plate. Not many teams have that kind of thump. My belief, even though I, I might be inclined to look at the trade for Sean Murphy, my belief is the Cardinals' first choice is Contreras. I, I would love that. And I know you talked about he may not be the catcher that can can handle the pitching staff. I, for me, that's not a big issue because they have the pitch com. They have yep. an ability. And most of the pitches, the decisions come from the dugout, and, and they can be relayed to him. And, hey, this is what we need to yep. pitch in this situation. I understand that there's a feel that you want to have from catcher to pitcher. You want those guys to to be on the same page. I, I think about Yachty and, and Wayno. Those guys, it almost like they didn't have to talk. They didn't have to put a sign down. They knew just, hey, you, we know what we're throwing here. We know who this is. We faced them. We know what we we want in this situation you you want that but that comes with time those guys weren't able to do that in their first second and third year they had to earn that trust and understand one another so I like Contreras because I think he's gonna hit I know he's gonna he's shown mm -hmm. that he can hit and as I said it's not that much of a concern to be a, a leader of a staff because of all the other help you have and for 2023 it's Wainwright Flaherty Montgomery, Matts, Michaelis, all guys that know what they want right, to do. They, exactly. They are convicted about the pitch that they're going to throw. So free agency starting at four. The Blues will try to snap their eight-game losing streak tonight when they welcome San Jose to town. And in keeping with tradition, Blues fans will be encouraged to sing the national anthem loud and proud before the game against San Jose. It's Salute to Military Night presented by our friends at Boeing. This Veterans Day tradition began in 2016 as a way for fans to honor our nation's servicemen and women during the Salute to Military military night and we're honored to be able to honor you the people that are our nation servicemen and women members of the blues warrior hockey team made up of disabled veterans from throughout the area will join players on the ice for the anthem it's always a great emotional night as the blues honor servicemen and women before a game close to Veterans Day, and I'm glad they're doing that tonight again. Yeah, it's going to be. I mean, it's always awesome to to salute the, the, the members of the military and all of the hard work and, and effort and time that they put in. Um, for me, it's it's my, my have military members in my family. My mother was in Army Reserve for 20-plus years. So, you know, it's definitely awesome that they get that recognition. It's awesome for the fans to be a part of it. And we used to do shows, and we're going to actually start again over at Jefferson Barracks, and people that have given – their lives are buried over at that cemetery, but at that hospital, there are people that have given up their their health, their mm -hmm. their positive uh, 
quality of life in terms of being able to move around and and do things that we do and they've done it in defense of our freedom so we really do appreciate them i know a lot of you are listening over at jeff and jefferson barracks hospital and we do appreciate you one of the coolest things i've ever done because of the game of football i was afforded the opportunity to go to afghanistan and to uh, on a uso tour with uh with former players in the washington Redskins at the time, mm-hmm. cheerleaders, and we were able to go to Afghanistan and a bunch of different countries over there uh, and meet with military members, and it was just an awesome time to spend time with them. Uh, it was it was a great experience for me to see that and be a part of that, so, you know, shout out to all of the military members overseas and here uh, that are doing what they need to do to keep our country safe. When you went over there as an NFL player, I'm sure you thought, and you are, I'm exceptionally tough, but then you run across them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and tough and mentally tough because uh-huh. you, you are dealing with things, you know, so far away from your family. You know, things come up where you can't just get home or get to a phone and get to, you know, talk to your family members. The time difference is, is vast. And so you have to deal with a lot of different things. So it's, it's not just the physical toughness, but it's the mental toughness that, that sets them apart from a lot of different people in our country. Yep. Thank you for what you do for us. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Grant is here. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. We've got a Thursday tradition. Sick of it here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Graham Francis is here. Carrie Davis is here. I'm Randy Carricker. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you'd like to join us on Sick of It here on 101 ESPN. And CD, when St. Louis lost the football Cardinals and before they got the Rams in that interim seven years, Jim Hannafin was the offensive line coach of the Washington Redskins. And I became a fan of that franchise. Mm -hmm. And it was a storied franchise. And their owner was not a great guy. He he was he he left something to be desired in his caring for people, but he didn't continually embarrass the franchise. Now, am I bothered if the NFL is embarrassed on a regular basis? No, yeah. but in terms of the way they deal with the embarrassment with the Washington Commanders, I'm sick of it. I mean, to go out and use a player's name in trying to defend yourself against a forthcoming accusation by the Washington, D.C. Attorney General, James Robinson, one of their players, was shot. Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson, yep, I'm Brian sorry. Robinson. Yeah, James is with the Jets yep, now. Yep. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. was shot yep. uh, during the summer, and he has recovered. He's come back to be one of the real fun stories, of one of the good stories of the NFL this year. And with an announcement yesterday by the Washington, D.C. Attorney General that he's going to have a press conference today outlining accusations against the Washington commanders. They turned out a release that basically said, why are you spending time on these baseless allegations when you can't find the person who shot our Mm. player? And actually the person who, two people who shot the player have been identified. And this isn't the same attorney general that makes those sort of allegations. There's a a federal, a Washington, D.C., this the city attorney general, and then there's the federal, they're different, and the commanders can't seem to figure that out. Yeah. That, you know what? They're it, an it, embarrassment. You're sick of, so you're sick of uh, uh, politics as a, as a whole and people playing yeah. politics. I'm with you. That, I was going to go, I'm sick of the blues losing, obviously. <laughs> that, that's neither, that, I don't know that that needs to be said, but I'm sick of that. But I am also sick of, 
people playing politics and not I'm sick of people. So get your bleep together, America. Get it get yeah. it together, America yeah. as a whole. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of everyone being so divisive. Everyone, you know what what people should do today? Go say hello to someone that they may not normally speak to. Shake a hand, say hello, make somebody's yeah, be day. Nice. Be nice. It, yeah. it, 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 Randy, last time I checked, it's free. It's free to yep, be nice. It, it costs yep. you nothing yep. to be polite and respectful. So do that today. Try it out. May learn something new about yourself or someone else. Yeah. There you go. Sick of people being bleak. Yeah. Holes. <laughs> One other note, by the way, about this entire situation with the Washington Commanders. This would not have happened under Paul Tagliabue. This is really uh, an issue of bad leadership under Roger Goodell because they, the league has known about how bad this organization is, how bad the culture in the organization is for a long time. And, and and I say that saying there are some really good people in that organization, yes, yeah. and and one of them being Jason Wright, who was my former teammate, who is the GM now. He he is a or president. president, president, team president. My former teammate, great, great. I mean, a great man, a great person. You would want to be around. You would want to talk to. You would want to hang around. You would want your your kids to learn from him. He is a abs an absolute great man, and there are great people in that organization. I, as I said, when I went on our USO tour, I met some of the Redskins cheerleaders and their staff, and they were great people. There are great people in that organization, and then there is some leadership at the top that is awful, that is really dragging the entire franchise through the mud. And because he owns it, no one. it's like, I can do what I want. It's mine. I can do what I want to do. It's awful for the people that work for him, that work under him, and hopefully, eventually, that whole thing gets it together. Yeah, they, they, they figure something they, out. And they get it right. Yeah. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, sick of it. And Grant Francis, what do we have? Somebody said on the text line, sick of the Paul DeYoung going to be a value for the Cardinals narrative. Do what it takes to give him a chance with another team to salvage. That's one from the 573. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to happen for Paul DeYoung here in St. Louis. I, I would think that just from the standpoint of having a career, he does probably need a change of scenery. Yeah, I was reading, I, I was showing you all, Derek Gould uh, tweeted, uh, a statement from Mo saying that this is going to be a, a, a an important spring for for Paul DeYoung to figure out if he's on the team, if he what his role is on the team, where he fits in this in this in this puzzle. Because as we said in the first segment, we got four infielders that you middle infielders mm-hmm. that you really trust, or three and one to one on his way. So if he is not able to do anything at the plate then you may have to find a way to to remove him or or, or figure out where where he fits in this whole thing because a 9 million dollars on the on the on the on the books is it's not going away no it's not going to go down and if he's not hitting he's not, he's going to be hard to trade um so you got to figure out where he fits and how he fits and and where it all lays where, how how it how it all plays out and he's had three bad offensive years in a row only played 45 games affected by covid in 2020 you give him the break for that with a 671 OPS. Then last year, 2021, played in 113 games, hit 197 with a 674 OPS, and then this year was a complete disaster. Well, last year was a complete disaster, too. But this year he hit 157 with a an OPS of just 530. I don't know... I, Many guys that have three really bad years in a row and then bounce back and 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 or keep a job. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I the 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 site the sports psychology part of it is is you would think that if a guy has done well in the past or at some point they can figure it out. Like Matt Carpenter, he he needed mm-hmm. a change of scenery. He obviously when he went to New York, 
he was the Matt Carpenter that we had saw for so many years, but for the last year or two, he was just struggling. And, and sometimes a change of scenery, just a change of philosophy can help a player. And Matt Holiday was a huge part of his rebound. Maybe Matt Holiday can solve ah, Paul there you go. We have a very level-headed approach from the 6-3-6 here. I'm sick of all the hate towards the Blues. They've been good for over a decade, and the law of averages says they're long overdue for a rebuild. Mm. Well, I-, I would suggest that a team that was just a couple of ga- wins away from beating Colorado, Colorado, Colorado last year, the yep. eventual Stanley Cup champions, I don't know that they are uh, that they need a rebuild at this point. And I, I don't think we hate them. I don't think the losing. Yeah, I hate the losing. (laughs) And I I don't think that this team right now, I said, I told you yesterday, I think they've played pretty much as well as they can the last couple of games. And I don't know that. I wish you would stop saying that. That doesn't give me any hope. No, well, that's why I don't have any, CD. (laughs) Every time you say that, I'm like, oh. God. They lost five to one, and that's the best they can play. It's not great. I will tell you guys the one thing I'm sick of with the Blues, and we were talking about this before the show, Randy. I'm sick of them hitting the post. Yeah, they had four posts yeah. in that first period. It could have been four nothing Blues in that. But game. here's the thing: even when you hit the post, you still have to respond in a way that is not so. You you, you just can't be so dejected and, sure. and oh man, here we go. Like you you hit the post, that means you're either a half inch one way or the other from from hitting the goal. So you know. It's okay. You're right there. Just keep shooting it. It means you're doing the right things, You're right? doing the right thing. It's and getting past the goalie. It's getting to the post. You're just not getting it in. Yeah, and to your point, Doug Armstrong said it when he addressed the media. We have players that have the mindset of, I can't believe this is happening yeah. to me. You mm-hmm. saw that with Robert Thomas in the last game when he hit the post, and he sort of had a look up to the rafters. The puck's still in yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Like, you still got to be engaged there. Yeah. It's the beginning of the hockey season. I'm supposed to be excited. I can't even look at this Blues team. I won't buy tickets to a game now, and I'm sick of it. Well, here's the here's the benefit of that. If they keep losing, does that mean ticket prices go down? No. No? No, that's oh, not well, going to happen. Well, then I guess there's they no benefit. They will go down, I guess, it. on the secondary market. There you go. So, so you can you can you go watch an NHL you can take game. your kids and your family to a game and not have to expend not have to spend so much money and Randy you don't have to have great expectations so then you're not disappointed at the end it's a win win CD I got to be honest with you okay not only is that a win win but the Blues won in 2019 after 52 seasons of not winning yeah and a lot of us said me being one of them. After that 2019 Stanley Cup, okay, five-year pass, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. We're five, still in it. Five-year pass, and if you don't win, yeah, you know what? We're still happy. We're still we're reveling in that Stanley Cup championship from 2019. We should be. We as fans are so greedy. Uh-huh. We we like it, mm-hmm. it's we are just greedy, and and it's it's you know it's well warranted. We want to win every single time. The players do too. They're working their butts off. It's not happening for them. Eventually, the puck will go in the net. In, in the opposing team that not in ours, mm-hmm. and, and you'll win some games. Well, and, I don't know when. But we, we also have to deal with reality. You look at what happened to the Kings. You look at what happened to the Blackhawks. You look at what's happening to the Penguins and the Capitals along with the Blues right now. When you're in a salary cap situation like you are in the NHL and there's a finite amount of time that players are going to be great, if, if you don't take advantage of your winning window like Tampa has, right. And you only win once, or you don't win at all. I mean, there. Uh, you look at Nashville, and you look at San Jose. Those are teams that probably should have won uh, Vegas, and they, they've got a different core now. Teams that should have won Stanley Cups, but didn't take advantage of the window. At least the Blues took advantage of the window. There you go. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Randy. and thank you very much for your text. We do appreciate it. Good to have you with us on One Hundred and One ESPN. Coming up. 
Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, talking about Goldie, Arenado, and more here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Gary Davis, Randy Carrick, and we haven't had a chance to visit with Greg Amsinger since the conclusion of the 2022 World Series won by Houston over Philadelphia in six games. And we go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Native St. Louis and product of the Lindenwood University, lead anchor for MLB Network. The great Greg Amzinger is with us now. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Uh, I am still trying to catch my breath. You know, the World Series can take it out of you. It, it can really take it out of you. So I need a little uh, time and R&R to decompress. But, you know, I'm ready for awards week. Listen to this. I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm hosting the Silver Slugger Awards show tonight. You can see it at 6 p.m. Eastern. Then I'm going to do my quickest Beyonce wardrobe change at the Oscars or the Emmys, and I'm hosting MLB Tonight in, immediately after that. So we'll see if I get a new suit on in time in the three-minute commercial break from the Silver Sluggers <laughs> to MLB Tonight. It's, it's good. I get like a whole NASCAR pit crew of people <laughs> that will be changing my clothes. It's incredible. It's going to be great. Look, you got to tune in to watch that. I, I will absolutely be tuned in. Okay, so now – what took more out of you? Was it the World Series and the broadcasting, or was it the aggressive golf schedule? Ooh, well, that's why you get paid the big bucks, Randy. That's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's kind of a balance of both. You know, when you're doing the post-game show after every World Series game on the field, it ends up being 90 minutes to two hours after the game. So you got people walking around cleaning up the ballpark and we're the only people in there, and I'm screaming on the field, still doing a post-game show. So depending on how long the game goes, by the time you get back, I mean, you have to have a post-game show, post-party cocktail, because the shows were always good, so you had to celebrate a good show. And now you're talking like an average of four hours of sleep before you wake up to go play 18 holes of golf. I will say this, as tiring as it was, and I know no one in their car right now feels sorry for me, not at all, you shouldn't. I did beat Dan Plesak in one round. I beat him by three strokes one day. And I'm telling you, Randy, I was floating. I was, I was, I told everyone in Houston that I did that. Random baseball fans, I was telling that, I, you know, I beat Dan Plesak. He's a three-handicap. <laughs> it was great. It was a great trip. Hey, Greg, I, I was watching that game, as I'm sure you were. I know you were. The uh, I, I wanted to get your opinion on, on Kyle Schwarber bunting with two strikes uh, in the top of the eighth inning. I told Randy it seemed like his the computer in his brain just shut down right before the pitch got there and he couldn't reboot, and that was the decision he made. What were your, your you all's thoughts while you saw that uh, take place? Harold, um, Chris Young, Pedro, they're all like, what is he doing? What is he doing? What is he doing? I thought it was admirable. I'm not going to be honest with you. I thought, I thought it was admirable. Here's why. The kid on the mound was untouchable. And Kyle Schwarber stood up there and tried, he tried to give a great at-bat. And then after the second strike of that at-bat, he looked at this kid of Bray and was like, I know I'm going to strike out. My only chance of getting on base is by bunting. He didn't go up there thinking that. He He's not used to seeing a Brayu. So he walked up there and was like, I can't hit this stuff. I want my team to come back. The only chance my team can come back is if I bunt for a hit right now. Because if I swing, I'm out. He knew that. And I thought it was admirable because he put himself on the line to be embarrassed, which he was, and it looked bad. But that's waving the white flag, man. 
And that's, that's letting your ego get out of you and going, I want to help the team. If I try to get a hit here, I'm not helping the team. So by swinging the bat, he was an out. By bunting, he's at least trying to get on base. So I thought it was admirable. It is remarkable. One of the things Mr. DeWitt talks about here, Greg, is he asks his staff every day, what is our competitive advantage on a day-to-day basis? It looks like Houston might have found one of those with the way that they recruit and sign pitchers from the international market. No doubt. Uh, And they know how to develop them. You know, and what does that mean? That means that get, get them that third pitch. If you're Framber Valdez and you see this young kid who's got this crazy two-seam fastball and a great curveball, they add a changeup. They add a cutter. They add 30 pounds of muscle to him. So now, by this stage of his career, he's throwing 97 miles an hour, which he wasn't doing four years ago when he was trying to break into the big leagues. They know how to develop these guys. Christian Javier, he's the next one coming. He's going to win a Cy Young. Right now, his average fastball velocity is around 93, maybe not even at 93. The lowest average fastball velocity of every starter in that World Series. Breaking news, guys. He's going to be throwing 97 or 98 miles an hour next year. They're (laughs) going to figure out ways to add velocity to these great young pitchers. He's going to be untouchable in the years to come. So they figured it out. They were the better team. The reason the Phillies had the only shot at beating the Houston Astros in the World Series. I mean, the Astros lost only two games the entire playoffs. They were 11-2. and two. Their only two losses were to the Phillies because no team was going to get more than five hits on average against the Astros. With their starting pitching and their bullpen weaponry, which is the best in baseball, no one on average, I know there were a couple of games where there were more than five hits, but on average, you get five hits. Well, the Phillies were one of those few teams, the only National League team in my opinion, that could turn five hits into four runs. And when they did get a hit, it was a homer. They were a feast for famine, top-heavy lineup club that could accidentally click a couple of their great starters and relievers. So that's what made it a good World Series. Um, I, I've never seen anything like it. I, 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 I couldn't believe my eyes when I walked onto the field after the Phillies were no hit and 50,000 fans at Citizens Bank Park were still standing. They didn't, they didn't sit. They did not sit for a three-hour combined no-hitter against their own team. It was crazy. Uh, but this is what you have when you when you play baseball this way. I think with the restricted uh, restricted shift coming, this way of playing baseball is going to go out the window. Hey, Greg, let's shift to the Cardinals. And, and there have been talks that catcher is probably the position that they're going to go after first. Uh, the A's have talked about being willing to trade Sean Murphy, and we know Wilson Contreras is, is on the market. Which one of those two two guys would you rather have and why? Well, look, I, I, I know it makes a lot of sense to you know spend a lot of money on Wilson Contreras. I don't know if that is the right play. I don't know if you're getting his best baseball. I, I'm just, I, I like Wilson Contreras a lot, but I, I don't think you're looking at the next Yadier Molina in terms of someone that's going to age that well. Uh, and do you want to spend a big salary back there again? Uh, I, I think giving up a ton of talent for Sean Murphy, and he's a very good player. He is. I don't know if that's the angle either. So there's been this hyper-focus on these two catchers. There's a guy I like, and he plays for the Toronto Blue Jays. His name is Danny Jansen. He's a good defensive catcher. The right now, the Blue Jays have three catchers. That is attractive to me if I'm John Mozeliak. I, I like looking at a team that has a surplus of talent. Alejandro Kirk, uh, he could win the Silver Slugger Award tonight. He's going to be their catcher. Now, the future is 23 years old. Now, his body type doesn't mean he's built to be the catcher every single day, but I think Danny Jansen's too talented to only be catching 50 to 60 games a year. So they've got three big league catchers. 
there's a surplus. You don't have to give up the entire farm like you're going to have to for Sean Murphy. You're not going to have a guy with a 16 to $25 million salary uh, like you're going to get with Wilson Contreras. So I think outside the box, options are still in play. I would I would tell fans to curb your enthusiasm on one or the other, Murphy or Contreras. One other name that's popped up here is a guy that has Yadier Molina as an idol, and that's Christian Vasquez, who just won the World Series. I like him a lot. I do. Um, he here's what I didn't like about um, about the idea of Christian Vasquez being the everyday guy. He really enjoyed being one of two everyday catchers. And we talked to him about it. He really enjoyed the lack of wear and tear on his body. He lacked game planning with Martin Maldonado. And at this stage of his career, he kind of enjoyed not having the grind anymore. Well, that immediately, as I'm standing there listening to that, going, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't sound like Yadier Molina to me. So I, I just, I, I'm looking at guys from a perspective of who do you want as a regular force back there? And, a guy like Jansen and Murphy, they're young. They still want to prove themselves as one of the best in the game. Um, yeah, look, the Philadelphia Phillies, they've got such, such a crown jewel player in JT Real Muto. It's going to be hard to find anything close to what he is. He's such a terrific guy that wants to be back there every single day. That is a bonus. You talk about what, where a team has an advantage. The Cardinals have had an advantage for almost 20 years. Having one guy back there game planning with the bullpen, with the starters, with the infield defense, like helping everybody intellectually battle. And that is an advantage the Cardinals have had. And they have to try to fill that void. We'll see which avenue they take. Hey, Greg, are you wearing a uh, tuxedo to the Silver Slugger Awards? I was thinking about it. No, so, uh, I think it's going to be like this nice little blue number that I've got uh, with this popping red tie and this polka dot shirt. He's got 85 I, suits. I, 85 I, suits. Wait a minute. I, 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 ever since I was a kid, when I was going to St. Charles High School, okay, I picked out my clothes the night before. I never understood my siblings who were always scrambling to find their outfit <laughs> five minutes before he walked out the door. So I, I kept that tradition into television. So – before I went to bed, Karen, to be honest with you, I knew exactly what I was wearing to the Slower Slugger show. So I, I, the reason I asked is because I think you should wear that on MLB Network. You shouldn't change. Don't go with the pit crew change. Just go, go straight there with the suit and, and show up and Touch. show out. No, I can't do that. No, no, no. no see, see, I, I, I look at it as an opportunity to wear another suit. Oh, you know what I'm okay. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. you're looking at it from a – a perspective of oh that sounds like a, that sounds like a grind. I feel bad for you. I would hate to do that. <laughs> You're talking to Greg Hamsting. I look at I have a whole new show to do. I have three minutes to change. I get to wear fan, different fancy socks. I get to wear a different pocket square. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Oh, yeah, different mentality. Greg, two more things. One of your colleagues at MLB Network, Joel Sherman of the New York Post, tweeting that. MLB plans to have the automated ball strike technology in all 30 AAA parks next season. The current plan, multiple times a week, will be only ABS, the automatic ball strike. Multiple times the ABS with the hitter-pitcher challenge system, which you broadcast in Charlotte this year. Question one, will we have it in Major League Baseball in 2024? And under what rules will ABS be applied if it is in the majors in 2024? I believe, I believe, this is just coming from Greg Amsinger's humble opinion, that it will be in Major League Baseball in 2024. And the ABS Challenge, if you don't know what it is, if you've ever watched tennis, 
And John McEnroe for years is like, what are you talking about? It's out. And then all of a sudden we get this new technology where in uh, five seconds you see the ball is actually in and hit the line. Graphically, it shows everyone at, in the world watching on television, the big monitor in the actual arena. People can see that the ball is actually in. This technology has been bulletproof, and it has been amazing for tennis. Well, this technology is coming to baseball, and it is groundbreaking. It is such an incredible alteration to the game, and it's going to have a ripple effect that we can't even understand the aftermath. This is going to be massive. I think what you're going to see in 2024 is you're going to see this ABS challenge where only three people can challenge ball or strike. And it's the pitcher, it's the catcher, and it's the hitter. Now, what we saw in the minor leagues, a lot of managers would not let their pitcher make the call, which making the call is immediate. You can't look into the dugout. It has to be immediately after the, the, the umpire calls ball or strike. You have to touch the top of your head. Or if you're a hitter, top of your helmet. Immediately to challenge the call. Well, pitchers think everything they throw is a strike. So you would be out of challenges. You have three. You get three incorrect challenges per game. There are two, th- two reasons this is great, okay? Number one, the umpires are now on notice because you get three incorrect challenges. So if there's an umpire having a bad night, they can continuously be shoving this down his throat all night. They can challenge. They go immediately. It doesn't take uh, forever. You're not looking at umpires walking over, putting a headset on. They immediately have a microphone on the home plate umpire who goes, this ball has been challenged. You go to the big screen, they show exactly if it caught the uh, part of the strike zone, and it, the umpire goes, it actually has been overturned. It is a strike. The count is two balls and two strikes. And everyone cheers. This is incredible. It's incredible. It's also game planning. And there are a lot of hitters who think everything's a ball. And what's so great about this is they're going to – the second part is guys are going to swing because they're not going to be left looking like a fool. There's accountability with this technology. They're going to walk back to the dugout, and none of their teammates are like, yeah, you totally got hosed on that. That <laughs> ball was two inches outside. No one's going to feel bad for you anymore. If you take a called strike three and you challenge it, and it was a strike three, your teammates going, wow, we only got one challenge left, bro. And you have two at-bats, and you use both of them. No more for you. Yeah, there's accountability <laughs> and game planning that is going to be uh, historic here. I can't wait. The ball will be in play more. There will be more swinging. It's what we saw when we were in Charlotte, what we saw in the minor leagues. The ABS Challenge mixed with the pitch timer is going to get baseball back to the way it was when we fell in love with it. Ball in play, pace of play moving, starting pitchers are more important than relievers. It's going to be great. And final thing, you mentioned Silver Slugger tonight, 5 o'clock St. Louis time on MLB Network. Who are the Cardinals that are going to win gold, uh, Silver Sluggers, in your opinion? Oh, man. I mean, I love Goldie's obvious. I mean, Goldie's going to have a great awards week, awards season. Um, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, that's always a tough one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think with his uh, wins above replacement, he had the highest war of any position player in the National League. So I, I think Nolan Arenado's going to get it. There's a super utility uh, silver slugger this year, and there are some pretty good ones. Brendan Donovan should be in the mix for that. Brandon Drury uh, of the Padres should be in the mix for that. Uh, a couple other guys have been really good at super utility players. Um, but I, I think it probably stops there for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, those three guys are in the mix. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. I mean, they don't let me have any information as to who's going to win. Um, but, you know, maybe uh, future Cardinal Trey Turner will win a silver <laughs> slugger as well. As well. But you never know. Uh, 
there, there's a, a certain pobo who has a visceral reaction when I I'll bring up short stops. He's there. You go with short stops again. Oh yeah, who's that? Let's go. After the press conference, I was just trying to lay out a scenario to to get us a veteran shortstop, and it's there you go with the shortstop again. Uh, well, here's the beauty of Trey Turner, and this is why all signs for me point to him. Okay, defensive versatility. If you're really in love with Mason Wynn, if you think this kid's really the the second coming in shortstop, Trey Turner doesn't care. He'll play. He'll play second base. He did it at a high level. He'll play center field. He's a ridiculous athlete. If you can sign someone with defensive versatility and they're athletic enough to be a plus defender at any position you put him at, that makes him even more attractive. You know, Carlos Correa doesn't want to play third. He can't do that in St. Louis, right? Xander Bogarts only wants to play shortstop. So there's a lot to love about Trey Turner, and I – I just think the Cardinals can't pass again on an opportunity to get another buddy for Nolan Arenado. Because, again, we got Paul Goldschmidt at 35 years old. To, to expect him to be a Cardinal to the age of 42 again is going to be kind of iffy. So you're going to need another superstar buddy for Nolan Arenado. Do not pass this opportunity up. I am rooting for you to be right so much because he's my favorite player. I think he's, <laughs> he's a perfect fit, so hopefully that's the case. Greg, we'll be tuned in tonight. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. You guys are the best. Take care. See you. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN with Kerry and Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for take it or leave it. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for take it or leave it. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? You can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Grant Francis is in for Matthew, who is in Vegas for a long weekend. Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker, CD. This is a story about Stanford basketball coach, women's basketball coach, Tara Vanderveer, and LSU gymnast Olivia Dunn. Olivia Dunn is using name image likeness to make a lot of money. She's making $2 million with her 8 million followers on social media. Well, she has incurred the wrath of Tara Vanderveer, the head women's basketball coach at Stanford, who said, I guess sometimes we have this swinging pendulum where we maybe take two steps forward as women and then take a step back. We're fighting for all the opportunities to compete, to play, to have resources, to have facilities, to have coaches, and all the things that go with Olympic caliber athletes. This is a step back. Despite that criticism, Dunn says that her social media strategy has allowed her to earn a larger salary. She says, seven figures. That's something I'm proud of, especially since I'm a woman in college sports. Take it or leave it. There's a little J for jealous from Tara Vanderbilt. Oh, definitely. I mean, just because, first of all, that's the purpose of the name, image, and likeness. The NIL is for college students to make money. And because of their ability to perform at a sport, she is a, a, a gymnast at LSU. She has, has has gotten opportunities to make money outside of her 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 job, her, mm-hmm. her 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 sport. And so, for someone to be angry at this person because of that is is just nonsense. It, it is jealousy. It is 
It is anger. It is vitriol. You're just upset at someone doing something, I guess, better than you were able to do. She, I don't know what, what uh, the coach from Stanford makes per year, but, you know, $2 million for a collegiate athlete is a, is a lot for anyone, but especially for a college athlete. I am proud. I'm happy for her. And get the money. Don't be Don't be bothered by what other people have to say that are, you know, angry or frustrated with you for doing what you're doing. I would think as a women's basketball coach, you would be happy that female athletes are able to make more. She's making more than any other athlete in college sports. Yes, and and so I, Don Staley, the head coach for uh, South Carolina basketball, the women's head coach, says that her, her South Carolina basketball players make more than most of the students on campus. You should be proud that, mm-hmm. that the women in college sports are on a level or even greater playing field than they are in professional. I mean, the WNBA is nowhere near what the NBA makes. So the fact that women are being paid in in their profession, in their sport, you should be proud of that and you should be happy about that and not take shots at a young woman for uh, doing what she's able to do. And by the way, Olivia Dunn, D-U-N-N-E, with 8 million followers That's on amazing. social media. So just want to make sure Pretty you know awesome. that name. Keep following. Uh, so... There has been talks, Randy. The, the, the NFL MVP honors, we're, we're, we're still searching for our MVP. It's kind of been fluctuating. You had, had Patrick Mahomes at one point. Then you had Josh Allen. Now it's Patrick Mahomes, maybe Jalen Hurts. A name that has been entering the conversation as of late is Tua Tunga Baloa. Our Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins Tua Tunga Baloa. Yes, sir. Take it or leave it. He finishes top five in the MVP voting. Totally take it. Yeah, I mean, he finished... Top five in the Senate vote in Florida. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he actually did. 17,000 people voted for, for Tua. Tua. <laughs> Just Tua. They yeah. wrote Tua. They didn't write. They didn't bother to write the last uh, name. He was a writing, clearly. Yeah. 17. That way. <laughs> Come on, Florida. Get it together. What yeah. are y'all doing? Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's top five. Th- th- there you go. <laughs> he's making our... our uh, our show prop. We've got a, a, a golf bag, a, a Miami Dolphins golf yep. bag, and a Tua jersey in the office. Yes, we do. He's making us prop. Indeed. All right, Grant, what do you got on the text line? From the 314, take it or leave it. Regardless of how the season turns out, the Blues should trade Vladdy and get something back instead of nothing to avoid another David Perron type of departure. I would say at this stage with where the Blues are, I would take that. If, okay, where are we at? 11 games? Mm-hmm. Is that where we are? 3-8? Yeah. 11 games? Okay. Let's say at 25 games, you're sitting four or five games under 500. Means you you've started to win some games, but you're still you're still back. Mm-hmm. Is that a point where you where you still make that decision, or are you are you confident that at 25 games you still got a good portion and left portion left in the season that you can potentially make a run? Where, I, I'm asking because I want to know where the cutoff is for you and how many games back do you need to be before you say, okay, I've seen enough. Kind of seen enough. <laughs> right now, sick of it. But I will say this: if they get to that point, how big of a is Vladimir Tarasenko a big reason that you get to that point that gotcha. you win seven out of ten? Okay, uh, that is going to color my decision on him. Gotcha. But I don't think that you you're not going to be able to under the cap keep O'Reilly or Tarasenko around. At some point, you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that. They're not going to be here. Is this team good enough to win a Stanley Cup? I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. So I don't think timing plays a role at all. I don't. I look at this team and I, I look at their total upside, and I don't think they're capable of winning a Stanley Cup. And if they can't win a Stanley Cup, then don't lose those guys for nothing. Right. From the three one four, take it or leave it. Mason, winner, Trey Turner. You can't have both. Leave it. 
like Greg said, you can play Trey Turner at second. You can move Mason Wynn to center field. You can have both. So let's just say, okay, we signed Trey Turner. Mm-hmm. And Mason Wynn comes up, as we have talked about, potentially midseason. Where is Tommy Edmond going? One of the, and, and so Dylan Carlson is, is playing and performing extremely well. Who, who, because Trey is playing. Mm-hmm. You bring Mason up, he's 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 playing. Good so play. good. Tommy Edmond is. Uh, he can be your second he, baseman. You can play, win in the outfield. You're gonna move. So you're gonna move Newt out. Who's, somebody's got to go, Randy. There's not enough spots. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I have yet to see the team that has too many good players. I, agree I haven't with found that. it yet. I agree with that. <laughs> From the 314, I can't believe we're here. Take it or leave it. The Coyotes will finish the season with more points than the Blues. Oh, I'm going to leave that. I'm leaving that, too. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, it's bad, but it's, it's not, not that, that bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Grant. Thanks, Randy. And thanks for your text. We do appreciate them. Coming up, if the Blues don't win tonight, they've lost eight in a row, and they're playing a pretty bad San Jose team. They don't win tonight. How long does this losing streak go? Kind of a scary thing we're going to talk about next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Flyers fans, on a half-empty building, come to their feet. Their attendance here this year has been atrocious so far. But John Tortorella's turning a team around, and they might want to wake up and realize they got a hard-working Philadelphia-style team back here in Philadelphia. And the Blues have lost eight straight and are coming home, and are going to need some home cooking and support on Thursday. Against the Sharks tonight, pregame at 6, action at 7. And Curbs mentioned the Blues have lost 8 in a row after a 3-0 start. They've, they're they 3-8, and eight, CD, and Columbus is 3-9. and nine. They've played 12 games, so those two teams have 6 points. In the it-could-be-worse department, <laughs> San Jose, in town tonight, has played 14 games and only has three more points than the Blues. They are 3-8-3 and three on the season. The Blues, 3-8-0. and oh. The question is, though, with the struggles the Blues have endured in losing eight in a row, if they can't beat San Jose tonight, and the Blues should beat San Jose, if they don't beat San Jose, how long does this go? How long does – if we get to nine, if, to, if, if tomorrow's show is brought to you by the number nine, you got a three-game road trip coming up. What are against, you thinking? Against Vegas, Vegas uh, Colorado, Colorado, and, and Chicago. And Chicago's off to a good start. Chicago is not supposed to be very good, though. They were they supposed were to be very bad. They were supposed to be where the Blues are right now. This is true. Um, first and foremost, I want to say shout out to Curves for painting that picture because that, I, I saw that vividly when he when he explained the crowd half empty or mm-hmm. half full and the Blues losing another game. I, it, it, you can just hear the frustration from everyone associated with, with this Blues team mm-hmm. right now. I want to say that they will win tonight because – Going to bed. maybe you know what? BK had a very very uh, interesting thought. He thinks that the winning streak will start Saturday in Vegas, which is an interesting thought because I like the thought. I, I, I like it as well. And here's here's why I like the thought because you're going to Vegas. 
Vegas is a place where you can kind of just chill, relax, get away. You can gamble. You can have fun. And maybe it takes your mind off of the actual game mm-hmm. and releases some of that stress that you're having. Um, so maybe that that maybe Vegas is, but but if you don't win tonight, it's going to be doom and gloom on Friday for for a lot of St. Louis Blues fans. By the way, if you do go to Vegas having lost tonight, Vegas has 24 points. The Blues have six. Yeah, that's not going to be good. Vegas has more points than any other team in the league. But what generally happens when you are a team that is that good playing a team that is that bad, you overlook it. Oh, that could happen. <laughs> Grant, what do you think? Well, to your point, when they played the Bruins, the Bruins were their second best in the league, only second to Vegas right now. And that was one of the best games the Blues have played recently. Uh, going into the third period, tied one-to-one there. That was a very winnable game for the Blues. They just couldn't pull it out. You know, looking at the upcoming schedule, Vegas is going to be tough. Colorado's plus, tough. Plus. Chicago's on the road. Plus. Always tough, no matter how bad the Blackhawks are. Washington, maybe. They've been struggling as well. And then two with Anaheim at home. you got to think at least one of those is a win. Washington, Anaheim, Anaheim all at home. But, man, it can be up to 11 if you don't win tonight. How bad can this thing get? Like, realistically, like, we were joking a couple of days ago through a text or text it in. Yeah, they're going 3-79. and 79. Like, it, it, jokingly, but how, how realistically, how many wins, how well, bad can this get before we, we just say, okay. Here's the thing. They have a goalie that can win a game for them by himself. Now, he can't score the puck. No, he and they the Blues have the worst scoring per game average in the National Hockey League. That is not good. No. But at some point, whether it's a team that you should beat, San Jose tonight, or the Kings or Colorado and the Blackhawks are 500, everybody comes up with fluke wins now and then. Even when the Blues were red hot down the stretch in 2019, they went into Ottawa and Ottawa's terrible and Ottawa beat them. So there's going to be, if nothing else, a fluke win that will end this losing streak. I think BK makes a nice point about Colorado. The Blues play Colorado well. Uh, Biddington is, uh, uh, granted, Kadri's gone, but Biddington is still mad about the way things ended last year. The Blues should be mad about the way things ended last year against Colorado. So maybe you go in and and beat the Stanley Cup champs on Monday after having lost 10 in a row. Oh, my goodness. That is Bad. We're running out of Sesame Street bits here. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I was looking last night on the did YouTube. What did I go up to? 20. 20. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're, almost, we're almost halfway there. <laughs> we get to 20. It's the, oh, yeah, well, that'll be a record. Uh, yeah, 18 is the all-time record. What's the record for losses in a season? That's uh, Oh, losses. There have been some bad teams. I think it was the Capitals whenever they came into yeah, the league their first right. year. It was up to, like, I think they were in the high 50s or, early, or um, mm. low 60s. Yeah. Bernie Miklos had season tickets to that team. Oh. And he went. And that was an expansion team. So, yeah, it's uh, hey, it's just not great. All-time worst NHL regular seasons. Uh, you are absolutely correct, Grant Francis. By winning percentage, the 1975 Caps were 867 and 5. The 93 Sharks were 1171 and 2. Ottawa in 1993 was 1070 and four. Ooh. Trying to find no. a non-expansion team, though. How do you have 70 regulation losses? How do you have yeah. only 10 wins, eight wins? Like, yeah. you can fall and find a win 
10 times out of 80, I, I would assume. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. This is Two. making me feel better. <laughs> Quebec, Quebec in uh, 1990 was not an expansion team, and they went 12-61-7. So uh, you're, you're dealing with that sort of thing. All right. John Kelly is much more level-headed about the Blues than we are. And he will join us in the Blues booth coming up on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Gary Davis, Randy Carricker, good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Blues and the Sharks tonight, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN, 7 o'clock faceoff, and you can also see the game on Valley Sports Midwest with John Kelly and Darren Pang. J.K. joins us now, as he does every Thursday here on the opening drive. John Kelly, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Randy. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, let's start with this. Josh Levo is back, and Nikita Alexandrov will join the Blues tonight. What do you expect from what you know, and we've seen a little bit more of Levo, obviously, than Alexandrov, but what do you expect that the Blues can get out of those two? Well, obviously, you have to do something, Randy, if you're in an eight-game losing streak, and, um, you know, it's beyond frustration, clearly, so they... They send Jake Neighbors down, and, you know, Logan Brown is on IR again. He's, boy, he's had a tough run with injuries. But, you know, I like Lebo in camp. I thought he was really good and, you know, had some good moments in the few games he played this year with the Blues. Had three goals in two games in Springfield. So he's a veteran guy that um, was the MVP in the Calder Cup playoffs last year. So, um, uh, quite, quite honestly, I, I was a little surprised he got sent down. Um, but he's back, and Alexandrov was one of the last cuts in camp, Randy. Um, a 22-year-old German, a second-round pick in 19, had eight points in four games in Springfield. And he's a skilled guy with good speed and obviously has never been in the NHL. So it's his first uh, kick at the can, so to speak. So hopefully, you know, little subtle lineup changes can spark the Blues. Obviously, they need that. Hey, John, you, you mentioned beyond frustrated, and, and that seems to be – you know, not just the players, not just the fans, the management. What is it going to take to to figure this thing out and, and right this ship and get it going in the correct direction? Well, Kira, I think it's really simple. You know, you, you have to play together. Um, you have to stick together in times um, like this. And, you know, nobody likes to lose. You know, obviously the fans don't like it, the players. So you, you've got to stick together. Um, you know, as an athlete, that's number one. And as Berube said after the game in Philly the other night, a 5-1 loss, we've just got to play better. I mean, you know, they're, they're giving up goals in bunches. They're very fragile right now. You know, I thought the first period against Philly was pretty good the other night. It's scoreless. And then they give up three goals in the second period. And that's happened a lot during this eight-game losing streak where they give up goals in bunches. So it seems when something goes wrong, it snowballs. So, you know, you're going to have adversity in games, obviously. So... Um, I, I think those are the two things is to stick together and, you know, play better and not play. You know, the other night in Boston is another example to me is it's a one, one game in the third period against a really good team. And to me, the blues played not to lose instead of trying to play to win. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they were sort of defensive in their mindset. So, you know, I, I assume it's probably really hard when you've lost eight in a row to have confidence, but, 
I think now, um, you know, I really think that they have to try to change that attitude in tight games and try to play to win instead of uh, not to lose. Hey, hey, John, I asked Robert Thomas this yesterday. Do you feel as though they're pressing? I, I think uh, at times they are they are trying to do more than, than they are supposed to do. I think about the play where Pareko was trying to get it out of the zone and, and try to lead on a fast break with uh, t- less than 10 seconds left, turn it over, and then you end up getting the goal by the Flyers uh, with t- three seconds left to end the period. Do you think that they're maybe pressing just a little bit more because they are in this losing in this losing streak? Yeah, no question. I mean, guys are, are overpassing, they're overhandling, things like that. And, you know, you, you try to do it individually when really the best way to, is to stay together as a team and play better as a team. So, yeah, that was a killer goal. You know, it's 2 nothing, and you give up a goal with three seconds left, and now you're really behind the eight ball in the third period. And obviously, you know, another example is the Blues scored a goal in the third period it's 3-1, and then on the next shift, they give up another goal. So there are a lot of reasons why they're losing. Um, you know, that's one of them, trying to do too much. You know, special teams cost them in Boston when they were 0-3 in the first period on the power play, and Boston was 2-2 two two on the night. So it, it just seems like right now it's sort of like, Randy, you know as a golfer, it's like your golf game. You know, you drive the ball well, and then your putting is terrible. And the next day you come out, you putt well, and your chipping is terrible. So that's sort of right now to me, and I'm not a very good golfer. I'm only very average. It's sort of like the, a golf game right now. You're, you're trying to fix leaks, and then you fix one, and then you, you spring a leak somewhere else. That's the way it seems to be going right now. John, I'm going to ask an easy question to ask, but I know it's a tough question to answer. But last year the Blues were third in the NHL at 3.77 goals per game. Now they're averaging 2.09. They're averaging 1.7 goals a game less than they did last year. What's the biggest difference? Why has this happened? Well, I think, number one, Randy, um, a lot of players did have career years last year. I think we have to keep that in mind. Um, you know, Barbashev and, and Buchnevich and a few others. Um, but I don't have an answer to that. I really don't. I mean, obviously, the, the, the big one that's gone is David Perron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, David Perron didn't score 150 goals last year. He was one guy. They had 920 goal scores. So, uh, you know, the chemistry was a little off with, it, with O'Reilly, I think, this year with um, different right wingers, and they're still searching to try to find – um, the right line combinations, and, and Ryan himself has struggled. He's admitted that. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's really puzzling. Like, you know, a guy like Buchnevich has not scored since opening night, and, and Barbashev has one goal. So, and, and they're not alone. So, I really don't know. That's, that's, that's the million-dollar question is that, um, you know, we know that they're not defending well enough at times, but for this team to have scored, Randy, the numbers are now, they've scored 14 goals, five-on-five this year in 11 games. Uh, you know, I don't need to tell anyone that it, that is just, you know, a really low total. It, it's, it's not near good enough, um, but I don't, I don't have an answer for that. That why basically the entire team has gone cold in the offensive end. It's really puzzling. Hey, John, there have been talks that if, if things don't get corrected, uh, that Tarasenko and O'Reilly uh, may be trade pieces. Is how Do you feel, do you feel like that is a possibility? And, and when uh, do you feel like that that could be a possibility? And, and could it be too long? Could you wait too long for that to actually happen? Well, Kerry, you know, Doug Armstrong, when he met the media last week after addressing the team, you know, he did say that, you know, one of the things on, on the table down the road would be to – to, to make some moves. And, 
you know, obviously those two guys are UFAs at the end of the year, and they would be very attractive. So I, I do think it's really hard to trade players at this time of year because of the salary cap. Um, if you wait later in the year, um, up until the March 6th trade deadline, whenever that is around March 6th, it's a lot easier. So I, I really hope that we're a long ways from that, and I hope this team turns it around and it doesn't come to that. Um, but obviously, because they're, they're UFAs along with Barbashev, um, they, they would be the more likely players to be moved, obviously, than some other players with long-term contracts. John, before we let you go, we haven't had the chance to speak since uh, the weekend when your former partner with the Colorado Avalanche, Peter McNabb, passed away at the age of 70. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity because I know that you had a great deal of affection for Peter McNabb. Well, yeah, Randy, I worked with him for nine years. And number one, he was a great person. He he had time for everybody. He loved the game of hockey. And, um, you know, the thing I remember most about Peter is is two things. that He, he loved family. You'd get to the rink in the morning, and he would ask me about my wife and my kids. And he, he loved to live vicariously through me because I had young kids at the time. And, you know, I talked to him about his family and, and then right away it would be into hockey. And he was a hockey lifer, like, like his father, the former GM, Max McNabb. So, you know, I think those are the two biggest things is he, he loved family and hockey was 24 seven on his mind and he, he battled cancer hard. You know, I saw him last spring, Randy in Denver during that playoff series and his cancer was in remission. So for it to turn south this quickly was, was a shocking development and when I found out last week that he was uh, very ill, it was, it was just terrible news. So a great friend, a great broadcaster, and a great person, um, you know, gone way too early. Absolutely. J.K., it's always great to have you with us. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll be tuned in tonight on Bally Sports Midwest. Okay, guys, thank you. See you. That's John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues, joining us in the Blues booth, as he does every Thursday morning in the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got a fighter, and that means we've got a fight coming your way. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Grant Francis, or better known as Grant Francois. Yes. How are you doing, Grant? My French version. <laughs> doing well? Doing great. We got a fight today, and Matthew Rocchio came up with the question, so if anything goes haywire, we can always blame it on him. As always. As always. That's what we do around here. We, we put it on Rock. Rock's a great guy. He's out for the day and tomorrow. Uh, our fighter today is Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you ready to ready to fight? Let's do it. All right, Tyler, here we go. Jack Clark hit his series and pennant-clinching home run in game – what? Oh, it doesn't have a game <laughs> – of the 1985 NLCS off of which Dodgers pitcher? Is it Tom Needenfjord. Tom Needenfjord. You didn't even need the game. We, we nope. already blaming Rock because he didn't give us a game for that. All right. <laughs> Question number two for you. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have each scored 30-plus points in the same game 15 times as teammates. That is the third most by any pair of teammates over the last 30 seasons, trailing only Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And what title-winning duo? Was it Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon and Kenny Smith, or Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal? Kobe and Shaq. 
All right, Tyler, happy birthday to Reverend Ike. Isaac Bruce scored his first career reception with a 25-yard touchdown pass, was thrown, which was thrown by which Rams quarterback? Chris Miller, Tony Banks, or Chris Chandler? Oh, man. I know it's not Tony Banks. Uh, we're going to go Chris Miller. All right, last one for you, Tyler. Pitchers can no longer win a Silver Slugger Award. What pitcher won the most with five? Was it Chris Carpenter, Mike Hampton, or Carlos Zambians? Uh, Mike Hampton. All right, Grant, how many you got? All right. All right, you want to get Randy's attention, tell him come on back in. How you feeling, uh, Tyler? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad? I got that all right. You should be pretty confident. I think you I think you may be okay. We'll see here. We got oh uh, Mr. Randy Carricker joining us. Randy, say hello to Tyler. Tyler, good morning. How you doing? Good, how are you, Randy? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right. Randy, you ready? Ready. All right. Jack Clark hit his series and pennant clinching home run in the nineteen eighty five NLCS off of which Dodgers pitcher? That would have been the same guy that allowed the home run to Ozzie Smith two days earlier, Tom Needenbuehr, as Jack Buck called him, a big fella from the North Country. And a year later, maybe it was two years later, we actually, he went to uh, the Orioles. We were at a game in Texas. He comes into a game, and there was a really small crowd in Texas at their old stadium. And we're down the third baseline about five rows. He's walking in from the bullpen, and we're chanting, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. <laughs> he did not take that very well. No? <laughs> no, uh, Tom needed to <laughs> All right, second question for you, Randy. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have each scored 30-plus points in the same game 15 times as teammates. That is the third most by any pair of teammates over the last 30 seasons, trailing only Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And what title-winning duo? Got to be Kobe and Shaq. That's the first one that came to mind for me. All right, here we go, Randy. Happy birthday to Reverend Ike Isaac Bruce. Bruce's first career reception was a 25-yard touchdown pass thrown by which Rams quarterback? Chris Miller. All right, last one here. Pitchers can no longer win a Silver Slugger Award. What pitcher won the most with five? Hmm. I don't know when they started the Silver Slugger Award. I would assume that... If it would have been in the 60s, that would have been, it would have been Bob Gibson. Cause I, but I don't think they had silver sluggers then. So I'll do the lifeline here. Was it Chris Carpenter, Mike Hampton, maybe, or Carlos Zambrano? I don't think it was Carlos Zambrano. I got Hampton seems like the only logical choice here to me. He was a pretty good hitter. We got a tie. Yeah. How about <laughs> this was a hell of a fight. This is a great fight. Four to four. Both of you got each one of them correct. We'll go over the answers later. So we are going to give you the rules for the tiebreaker. Randy will write his answer down. And then, Tyler, you will give us your answer. And then we will compare notes and see who got the closest to the pin. It doesn't matter if you go over. All right, Randy, you ready? Ready. Whitey Herzog, great Cardinals legendary manager, finished his career with what number in wins? What is his career win total? All right. Uh, let me just think here a minute. Um, uh, okay, I got my number. I got Randy's. What is your answer, Tyler? Uh, 
I'm gonna go with uh, go with thirteen hundred. Your phone I, broke. You up. broke up thirteen hundred. What? One thousand three hundred. One thousand three hundred. Oh. We got a winner. Good lord. We got a winner. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Tyler, he got you on the final question. The answer was 1,281. Randy, answer was 1,286, and yours was 1,300. Got you by a few. Thanks. That's ridiculous. (laughs) That is a great fight by both of you. We'll run down the questions. Good job, job, Tyler. Uh, Jack Clark hit his series and pennant clinching home run in the 1985 NLCS off of Tom Needham Fewer. You both got it right. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both have scored 30 points and 15 15 times as teammates, third most by any uh, uh, pair of teammates. Kobe and Shaq were the other two. I was really concerned because I thought, oh, man, because Curry and Durant had to do it or something, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you might, know, yeah. That I, is. I, I was thinking Curry and Durant or Curry and Clay. Yep. So that, that, that that is. after I said that, I thought, eh, maybe not. <laughs> Happy birthday to Isaac Bruce. Isaac Bruce's first career reception was a 25-yard pass, touchdown pass from which quarterback? Rams quarterback. It was Chris Miller. And then the Silver Slugger is no longer award won by pitchers, but the pitcher with the most with five is indeed Mike Hampton. Uh, did it with four different teams. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good hitter. Yeah, and pitcher and made a lot of money. Yeah, made a lot for of money. Hurt all the time. Yeah, he did. And as I said, Whitey Herzog win total was twelve hundred and eighty-one. Great job, Tyler. You did an awesome job. It took to the final question for Randy to finally get you. <laughs> yeah, I, I did my best. You did great. <laughs> hey, thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, guys. Take care, Tyler. With us on one hundred and one ESPN. That was. That, that, that was, was that fight. was a. That was I mean, it was really close at the end. You yeah. got him. You got twelve eighty six. Unbelievable. And his answer was his, his total was twelve eighty one. I, I was thinking twelve eighty. Mm-hmm. Then I thought oh, I'll just add half a dozen for it. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't add more. Didn't I? I'm glad I'm, I didn't go thirteen oh one. Tyler was pretty. Tyler was pretty close too. He there. was. He was. He was. Not far off. Yeah. Unbelievable. Hey, next up, the St. Louis U women's soccer team is rolling. Number two seed in the NCAA tournament, and we're going to talk to their head coach, Katie Shields, next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Super Bowl champ Gary Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And after breaking through with an NCAA tournament victory last year, the Billiken women's soccer team is back in the NCAA tournament in 2022. And they'll play Memphis in the first round on Saturday over at Herman Stadium, a 1 o'clock kickoff. And you can get tickets at slewbillikens.com. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Katie Shields, the head coach of the Billiken women's soccer team, joins us on 101 ESPN. Katie, good morning and congratulations. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Now, Coach, I have to ask, you are a Harvard grad um, that decided to go into coaching. Now, I, I'm a coach myself, and I understand the tasks and how hard that is. What, what led to that decision, uh, uh, going from Harvard to being a, a college uh, soccer coach? 
It's a little bit of crazy, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, but, you know, I don't think that's what my parents dreamed up when they sent me home. But um, I just, I love the game, and I am a product. My parents are both uh, te- lifelong public school teachers. My dad was a coach, so I had it in my blood. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think that's what I, I had in mind, but it's, been, it's what I've done ever since I graduated and what I love. This is the fifth straight year that your program has been in the NCAA tournament, but you're scoring a lot. You're 3.1 goals a game. That's tops in the nation. You've got 15 shutouts. That leads the, the, the nation. Is this as balanced a quality team as you've had, Katie? This is. This is the best team. We've had great, great groups the last five years, championship teams, but this team is they're the deepest in talent. They've got we got special kind of weapons all over the field in terms of scoring goals. We're very difficult to score on, but part of it's also we're experienced, we're older. This this is a group that knows how to win, and um, they've learned how to win during their time here. And so it, it definitely is the the best um, complete team we've had so far. Coach, you were you were named A10 Coach of the Year for the third time. Congratulations on that uh, earlier this month. But you also, after that, you posted you have the coaching staff of the year. Can you just talk to us about the importance of your staff and, and how much they assist you in day-to-day responsibilities? I do. I mean, so much of the credit uh, should should go to them. Um, I've got phenomenal uh, kind of associate head coach, Chris Allen. I, I say it's like having two head coaches on staff. I mean, he is – He's the best in the business at preparing a team in terms of a scouting report, delivering it. He's a phenom- he's a recruiting coordinator, so all that talent we see, he's kind of taking the lead and bringing it together for us. Um, and he's just an incredible uh, tactician, I guess, when it comes to set pieces. And we score a lot of our goals off corner kicks, free kicks. We don't give up goals, and that's got his fingerprints all over it. And then on the other, the other assistant coach, Olivia Silverman, she played for us in the program. I mean, she's just... She's, I think, one of the best goalkeeper coaches in the country. We have one of the best goalkeepers in the country. Um, And and in addition to that, she's just phenomenal in relationships with our players and and the cultural side of of things. So I'm spoiled when it comes to to our coaching staff. And then we've got Peyton Bauman. She's our director of ops. She kind of does all the dirty work for us. So it really is day-to-day. They they run the show um, and, uh, and make us look good. Katie Shields, the head women's soccer coach at St. Louis University with us on 101 ESPN and her club playing at Herman Stadium against Memphis 1 o'clock on Saturday in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Katie, you mentioned you're spoiled by your coaching staff. The the wealth of talent available to you in St. Louis must spoil you a little bit, too. I, uh, you, you have a real strong St. Louis flavor with your, your squad, don't you? We do. About half our roster is greater St. Louis area, uh, metro area. And, uh, you know, if you look at our starting 11, we have two that are outside of that area. Um, and so it is an impressive talent pool, the the youth clubs, the high schools, they do a phenomenal job developing them. And then, you know, obviously it's our job to recruit them and keep developing them. But we are, for the size of St. Louis, we are spoiled with the talent pool in our backyard. And it's the reason we have been so successful. And I asked about the balance earlier, but statistically there is one girl that stands out and that's Caroline Kelly. Tell us about her and what she brings to the table. She's uh, she's just a, first she's a dominant athlete. I mean, she is an elite level athlete. She ran track in high school. You'll see that the second you watch her. She's powerful. She's strong. 
Um, but I think the things that make Caroline special are she is the most competitive person on the team. Sometimes, you know, can get on get on your nerves in training <laughs> as a coach, but it's, I, I would want her on any team I'm playing on, coaching on, because Caroline finds ways to win and score goals and be impactful. Um, and she's grown tremendously, you know, in her first two years, just in her defending and then also in her ability to score goals. But it is it is very much a team effort because the one that comes off the bench after her is, is lockstep behind her and Emily Gaby and scoring goals. And you, you mentioned Caroline's competitiveness. I, I would guess the five game winning goals that lead your squad, that's not a coincidence. It's not. It's not. And that's what we built our program on, just competitors. I mean, our daily training environment is competitive. It can get nasty. There's always something to be won or lost. And so, yeah, what Caroline brings to the table, she she brings that in training as well. Hey, Katie, when you are coaching and, and you know, kids have changed over the years, have you seen much of a change from, from when you first started or when you were when you were a younger player to what you see now in, in kind of the mindset of, of the younger players and how they go about their day-to-day activities? Yeah, I think uh, there's obviously changes, and uh, older, older adults often like <laughs> you know about the generation. But I actually, I think there's a level of maturity um, in some ways about the just they're coming out of a youth environment where it's it's more professional than anything I ever played in, and now they're in a college environment where again it's more it's more professional in terms of. There, you know, there's attention to nutrition. There's attention to recovery, preparation, scouting, just the technology available um, that we really are. We're able to to play and to train at a really high level. I mean, we have a brand new state of the art facility for our women, uh, the Billiken Soccer Legacy Center, and that was just something that didn't exist. And so, you know, with all of those resources, of course, comes expectation. And and I think our women handle it phenomenally. What concerns you about Memphis on Saturday? It's a tough first round draw. It's not a it's not a fifteen two you know typical draw. I mean they were they potentially underperformed a little bit in their regular season. I believe they were picked to win the AAC and uh, did not do that, but then won the AAC tournament. And so this is a it's, they're athletic. They've got some really dynamic attacking players. They're pretty hard to score on. I think it'll be a, a really exciting college soccer game. I think if we do our perform at our best and, and be our best selves. We have a sh- great shot of, of winning and advancing, but uh, it'll test us for sure. And Katie, we've had such magnificent weather here in St. Louis. Saturday, we're only supposed to have a high of 39 degrees. If that affects your team, how does it affect your team? Uh, they'll be fine. My California bones will be shivering on the third <laughs> line, but they out on the field. I mean, they, they've played in it before. I think the 2018 team, we played at Kansas in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It was about 10 degrees at kickoff. So this will feel like a spring day uh, compared to that. But um, it'll be cold. It'll be cold for both teams. Once they get moving on the field, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing that any of them, they've all played in it before. And how much would a big crowd help? Oh, it's it's game changing for us. I, we're close to that top ten and nationally in attendance. We won the championship last week in front of almost three thousand people, and it's it's a reason I believe when we have these great crowds at Herman that we're able to win these big games. It's a little bit of that twelfth man out there for us. Well, we're looking forward to a great weekend for your team. Tickets available at slewbillikens.com. Katie, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on what's happened so far, and good luck in the NCAA tournament. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. That is Katie Shields. She is the head women's soccer coach at St. Louis University. They take on Memphis first round NCAA tournament action at Herman Stadium, 1 o'clock on Saturday. And bundle up. Three-time 
A-10 Coach of the Year. Yeah. It speaks you know, volumes to what her program has been doing and how well she's been coaching them. Uh, and, and good that she's still here coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. not having – I'm sure she's had many opportunities to move on, but staying here, staying locally, and, and coaching these young ladies up to be champions. So there is an old movie from the 80s, Risky Business. It's a Tom mm-hmm. Cruise movie yep. where he can go to Harvard if he plays his cards right or – the University of Illinois, if he doesn't, has a bad weekend with his parents away and says, looks like the University of Illinois. It's a good choice, Randy. <laughs> Never go wrong with the Illini. <laughs> no, you, no, you can't. But you both wind up Harvard there or you Illinois. You wind you up go. as coaches, right? Indeed, indeed. Kerry <laughs> Davis, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. Coming up. The Cardinals can start free agency today with a big splash if they want at 4 o'clock St. Louis time. They could go out and get Wilson Contreras, or they could make a trade. What does Greg Amzinger want them to do with the catching position? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brandy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the opening drive. It's time for today's Big Thing. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Look, I, I, I know it makes a lot of sense to, you know, spend a lot of money on Wilson Contreras. I don't know if that is the right play. I don't know if you're getting his best baseball. I'm just... I, I like Wilson Contreras a lot, but I, I don't think you're looking at the next Yadier Molina in terms of someone that's going to age that well. Uh, and do you want to spend a big salary back there again? Uh, I, I think giving up a ton of talent for Sean Murphy, and he's a very good player. He is. I don't know if that's the angle either. So there's been this hyper-focus on these two catchers. There's a guy I like, and he plays for the Toronto Blue Jays. His name is Danny Jansen. He's a good defensive catcher. So right now the Blue Jays have three catchers. That is attractive to me if I'm John Bozalock. That's our buddy Greg Amsinger of MLB Network. He's got the Silver Slugger Awards tonight at 5 on MLB Network. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, 901. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. CD, I can be convinced either way here. I could be convinced for Danny Jansen, a trade for him. I could be convinced of a trade for Sean Murphy. I could be convinced to sign Wilson Contreras. I think one of the things that we have to note is that the Cardinals still like Yvonne Herrera. They just don't think that he's as close to ready as they Mm -hmm. thought he was. But you could easily sign a guy like Contreras, have him catch for a year, and then have him become your designated hitter as Herrera evolves into the catching role. Or you could have Contreras do what he did last year. He he caught 72 games for Chicago. Maybe you have a guy like Herrera, or if Andrew Kisner winds up being the guy... Have, have those guys play 90 yeah. and have a guy like Wilson Contreras catch 72. And split time, and yeah. you you know what his bat is going to do. He's a three-time All-Star. And the, the notion, I keep hearing people say, oh, he's old, he's old. He's 30. Sean Murphy is 28. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a big disparity between those two guys in, in, as far as age goes. And you know what Wilson Contreras is going to do at the plate um, because he's done it throughout his entire career. So I am, I am more leaning towards – uh, having that bat behind the plate. I know we, we talked about the importance of being able to manage pitching staffs and, and being able to do, you know, make sure that you are not giving up pass balls. You're, you're, you're blocking pitches that may be in the dirt. But 
he's also a professional baseball player, and that's part of his job. So those things that you don't do well, hopefully you work on and get better at. But the bat is, is it plays for me, and and we've seen you know throughout the years, especially in the in the postseason, we needed some people to come up to bat and make some hits. And I think if you get a guy like him in here, he'll be able to do that. And if you could get a player like Jansen or Murphy, who aren't outrageously expensive. The estimate at Spotrack is that a guy like Murphy would make $3.3 million next year, okay? So, to me, what you would do then is if you would trade a Gorman in a, in a trade to get a guy like Sean Murphy, and I'm just spitballing here. I haven't heard any of this from the, from the Cardinals. I'm just assuming that the A's would want Nolan Gorman and a, and a pitcher. But that does, if that's your catcher making $3 million, that does open up some salary cap space for you and the Cardinals mm-hmm. do have a self-imposed salary cap to perhaps pursue a middle infielder Infi- middle infielder out middle infielder in middle infielder out for catcher take care of two spots and go out and, and find use the money to sign a free agent shortstop. what if the the, the asking price isn't uh, Gorman is Donovan from the athletics what if it what if that's the person that they want in return because you're giving up something you're gonna want something proven in return and and we don't think that Gorman is going to be your starting second baseman next year, but you do believe that that Brendan Donovan is. Mm-hmm. So what if that's the the ask in return and and and, and a minor leaguer or, or or a pitcher of of someone that you really have faith in and believe in? If I know that I can get Trey Turner, and Greg brought him up again this morning, mm-hmm. if I if I'm the Cardinals and I know I can get Trey Turner, I'll give up Brendan Donovan okay. because. If I've got Turner, I've got Turner and Edmund playing 140 games Correct. apiece on the middle right. infield. Right. I really, uh, I can use Brendan Donovan in the outfield. Yeah. I don't need him. Correct. If I don't, Gorman would be. Oh, I think Nolan Gorman's going to be a better offensive performer. He's going to hit 30 home runs. Mm-hmm. But if I have Gorman on my team, I'm going to try to move him and not move him in a trade. I'm going to try to get him to learn how to play left field some corner outfield, and he can be a left-handed bat off the bench. He can be a left-handed DH. He can be a left-handed corner outfielder. Yeah, I just I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they want in return for Sean Murphy, knowing that he is, you know, highly sought after, mm-hmm. and, and there are going to be some teams that are that are looking for the catch position, uh, knowing that they are sellers, but they are going to want something in return, either from your farm system or, as I said, maybe a Brendan Donovan, someone that they know can come in and start. You usually, if you're giving up a starter, you want to mm-hmm. get a starter in return at, at some position that you feel comfortable that can play, you know, 160 games, 150 games, and not have to worry about that guy. Um, not always a prospect. So it's going to be someone that they believe can be a starter in the, in the major leagues. And last spring when they traded Matt Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, the A's just got a bunch of lottery tickets. Now their number one catching prospect, the guy that will allow them to trade Sean Murphy, came in the Matt Olson trade, the the, the, the trade with the Braves. That's the, the A's number one catching prospect. But when they traded Sean Manaya, when they traded Chris Bassett, they did not get guys that are close to the major leagues. Mm-hmm. They got a few near major league ready guys. But Especially if you're planning on moving to Vegas reasonably soon, you want to have guys that have developed into pretty good major league players so that you have those guys playing at a reasonable level by the time you get to Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they are the the move is is being it's considered. Imminent, right? it, it's 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 kind of sad for 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 Oakland. I mean, they, you lose football, you lose. 
Uh, now you're losing baseball. You just you, you're just losing all of your. I mean, you lost the Warriors as well. They moved across the bridge to San Francisco. So, uh, Oakland fan base has to be distraught oh, at man. this point. We we feel bad about losing uh, two football teams. They are they've lost a basketball team, a football team, and now on the on the verge of losing a baseball team. That 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 is That's a awful. shame. Yeah, it is. I want to touch on a couple of other aspects to free agency right now. John Heyman reporting this morning that the Mets are not inclined to give Jacob deGrom Max Scherzer money, which okay. is $43 million a year. I don't know if that means they'll go $40 million a year. I can't imagine another team going more than $40 million for Jacob deGrom with the, his recent injury history. Are the Cardinals in the market for a starting pitcher for an ace starting pitcher, knowing that you got Jack Flaherty hopefully coming back healthy? You got Wayno returning. You got Michaelis. Montgomery is still here. Do you believe that they are in the market for one of those Jacob deGrom type arms they uh, should and spending be. that type of money? They, they should be. Now, no, I don't think they'll go $40 million a year. I don't think that they would go 120 over three, if my math is correct. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Cardinals would go there for a guy that, to this point, at least recently, has not pitched a lot. I, I would think, heck, they wouldn't give the money to Max Scherzer. So if, if they aren't going to go Max Scherzer, and this is I'm talking about 2015 right, Max right, Scherzer, right. I can't imagine that they would go that way with Degrom, who's been as fragile as he has been. Eh, yeah, he's, and I, I, I yeah. would, I, I, I would probably agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I don't think they would, and I don't think the Dodgers will. I don't think the big money teams. I don't think the Red Sox. I think the Mets are the only place where he's going to get that sort of money, and. He, he wants to be there. They want to keep him. Apparently, they've been in discussions. He might think that he should get Max Scherzer money, but Max Scherzer, even though DeGrom has won a couple, Max Scherzer's won more Cy Youngs, mm-hmm. and Max Scherzer has won a World Series, and Max Scherzer has shown himself until the last couple of years to be an absolute horse. Right. And to me, those are the guys you give money to, the guys that you can count on for 31-32 starts a year. Those I agree. You don't want to pay if you're not gonna if 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 a guy is often injured or you don't know what you're gonna get you know from from start to start or if he's gonna be available for those thirty plus starts is gonna be it's gonna be hard. That's why Wayno and and Michaelis were so important to this staff because they ate up so many innings. They were leading. I think Michaelis was two in innings pitched and and Wayno was top 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 six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you got guys that you know you can trot out there every fifth day and are gonna eat up those innings and make sure that the bullpen is not, you know, torn apart day in and day out. Now, one other thing I wanted to bring up, CD, and I know there's a lot of people listening right now that have their phone in their hand ready to text. And I'll go back to this. I said this earlier. The Cardinals have a very defined budget. Here's a quote from Farhan Zaidi, the president of baseball operations for the Giants, when asked about making a move for Aaron Judge. Zaidi said, I don't think from a financial standpoint, there's nobody that would be out of our capability to kind of meet what we expect the contract demands will be. He went on to say, then it'll just be a question of whether there's mutual interest and how we put together the best possible team. Essentially, while not saying they don't have a budget, he did say there's no explicit ceiling on what the Giants <laughs> might spend this offseason. So we might have a little bit of stupid money 
getting moved by the Giants here. And they're going to be in the market for Aaron Judge, who grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah, he, he's from the area. He seems that, that, that that's where he wants to be. Um, he turned down that offer by the Yankees early in the season and seemed to be, I mean, it's obviously the best best betting on yourself moment in, in sports thus far. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just really is going to make probably $100 more million than, than he would have made from the Yankees. And so the Giants seem to be the team in the franchise that that is willing to open up that pocketbook and pay mm-hmm. him what he feels he deserves. So here's what it comes down to. Zaidi said that what the Giants have is, like he said, no explicit ceiling, but, quote, that doesn't mean we have just a completely blank check. What that tells me is that they have a check that's signed to Aaron Judge (laughs) and the dollar amount written in numbers and written out, that part isn't completely filled in yet. Otherwise, it's it's there for you, sir, whenever you're ready. You just will figure out the the small details about this number, but you'll be here next year. And there are a couple of things here. Number one, the Giants are run a lot like the Cardinals are, but the Giants, the Cardinals went out and got Goldschmidt and Arenado. Mm-hmm. Giants don't have a star. After yeah. losing Buster Posey and Evan Longoria kind of falling off and, and Crawford and all those pitchers, they don't have a star on their team. And that's one of the things that draws people to Bush Stadium and drew people to Oracle Park was whether it was Bonds or Posey or Crawford or Hunter Pence uh, or for a time, Brandon Belt or Longoria, Pablo Sandoval, they had stars on that team. And yeah. that's what they, uh, when you don't have a star, you got to be willing to spend whatever it takes to get one. They And they're trying to get one because yeah. he is a star and he's going to bring some fans. He's going to put some butts in some seats. Yeah. Uh, he's going to oh, hit some balls time. out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> so free agency starts this afternoon at four. It's unfortunately not like other leagues. It's not like the NBA or the NHL or the NFL where yeah. people sign at 401. It doesn't work that way in baseball. It, it should be. It I mean, that be. is so much fun when you are at midnight waiting for the NFL. Who do we? Who, do, mm-hmm. who, who signed where? Where are they going? The NBA, same thing. Hey, baseball got to pick it up a little bit. I would say make so. It, make it a bit more exciting. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up. Our buddy Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, our Blues Insider, is here in studio and joins us next to talk blues on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Buddy Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic is here. And JR does spectacular work in covering and analyzing the Blues for The Athletic. Welcome to the show, sir. Good to see you. Thank you. Too kind. That is not true. And I have no answers over the next 15 minutes. I know you'll have an answer to this one, though. (laughs) Because as a veteran listener to me in the fast lane or on Carriker and Smallman or now the opening drive, you know that one of my favorite people to quote is Bill Parcells, Right. Right. And one of Bill Parcells' famous favorite lines was, you are what your record says you are. Hmm. Your buddy Dom LeCision, contributing to your piece yesterday in The Athletic, writes, the Blues are not nearly as bad as their current record, but they were never as good as last season's record either. They were not a 109-point team. I would ask how many points the Blues had last year. That would be, let me do the carry the one like Brad does. Okay. Uh, 109. Oh. 109. I would say they were 109 points. <laughs> That's just me. You are what your record says you are. And right now, they're bad. And 
That's not an illusion. Yeah. They, they are what their record says they And are. it actually could be worse because they weren't great in those first couple games no. outside of that uh, Edmonton game, so it actually could be worse. And I don't know in these last eight, I think I heard Curb say it, I don't know that they've been deserving to win any of these eight games. No, so yeah, it could be worse. So since you're here and and you have no you you have knowledge that that I don't have that Randy doesn't have we, we we're trying to figure this thing how do we fix it well <laughs> let me tell you one thing coach <laughs> let me know how you fix it what, what what do we need to do Doug Armstrong has a five year contract and he's paid a lot more than I did so if I oh. had the answers I would have went down that career path as opposed to this career path so. Uh, no, it, it just has to start with, uh, I think, playing the way that we've seen them play in spurts. And mm-hmm. we saw that in a period here, two periods there, uh, but it just obviously hasn't been consistent enough. And, you know, I'll keep saying it, they just have to pull together. It just doesn't look like they're playing together. And you, we can break it down. Here's the one thing, Kerry, the, the easiest answer I can give on all this stuff. It is so bad right now that when I try to provide answers like this, I don't even analyze, well, the PK needs to do yeah. this. Oh, they need to forecheck. Oh, they, it's beyond all that. They need to play hockey for longer spurts and they're not. One thing I, I was telling John Kelly earlier and I asked Robert Thomas this, it seems as though they're pressing and because when you start losing and you start and you're on a losing streak and it doesn't seem you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, people start doing things that they normally don't do. I, I was equating it to what Kyle Schwarber did with two outs. He tried to bunt. Kyle Schwarber shouldn't be bunting. <laughs> he should be swinging the bat. But people start doing things when it when it becomes that crunch time, people start doing things that they are not familiar with or normally doing. Do you see that at times where guys are just going out of their way to do something that maybe they're not actually good at, but trying to do, trying to make a play that, that that's not their job? Yeah, I see a little bit of that, a lot of that actually. Uh, but the one thing that I've been saying for a couple weeks now is I just see guys who are way better players than they're showing just not being able to do the simplest of things and and what's very interesting to me is just like we go in the locker room and talk to these players guys you guys have uh, Robert Thomas on and he says the right things and his intentions to go out there are to do the right things mm-hmm. but then he's just to use him as an example one of those guys who's lifting the puck hitting the crossbar right. we can talk about four crossbars four posts in the last game but that's a goal right there and, mm-hmm. and you jump up and and score that goal and things are turning out different here's the bottom line to me 18 years I think I've been covering this team you've seen stretches like this but it might be a handful of players and it might end after six or seven games this is team wide and this is eight plus games so with that being the case you've written about this Ryan O'Reilly was asked the other night if the Blues have quit on Craig Berube every coach NHL whatever league every coach has a shelf life is this team still buying into what Berube is selling? Yeah, so this is a somewhat of a difficult question because I think that Craig Berube is still doing a good job with this team. That's my first and foremost thought. Uh, I think they have a lot of respect for him. I've been around, what, six or seven coaches now since I've been covering the team where you could just tell. The buy-in wasn't there. They didn't respect the coach. You'd get these snide comments from the players as you're walking the hallway to, to leave the arena. By the way, even somebody as revered as Ken Hitchcock is one of the great coaches in the history of the league, right? Uh, he might be number one. Yeah, on right. No doubt. No I was doubt. talking about there. Yeah, I still get comments. But uh, but you, you just know, and you don't know when it's coming necessarily. That's when the losses start to add up. But I can just tell you, honestly, I have not had one conversation conversation with any player, text message, anything where they said that Craig Bruby is an issue and he needs to go. So I believe Doug Armstrong when he comes out and he says, hey, the coach isn't the problem. You know, Craig obviously has to pick his spots. I remember Oscar Sundquist telling me this a long time ago. When Bruby came in in 2018-19, they were scared of him. They were flat out scared of him. He got their attention, right? And then Sundquist told me, now he's more of a teddy bear. I think that's before Sundquist mm-hmm. left. He said... 
I think they got used to him, and I think they uh, felt comfortable with him. Obviously, over time, that's going to wear off a little bit. Uh, so I think that what I watched the last couple of weeks in practice, he got after him, Randy. He, you know, he, he tore into him, but he also knows when it's time to peel back. And I talked to uh, Jim Montgomery the other day about that, and he said he knows the locker room, the bench so well. He'll, he'll get through this. So I'm going to maintain that Craig Bruby is not the issue at the moment. By the way, another sneaky guy they miss is Sonny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. and health-wise, you know, obviously that probably turns out to be a good move mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I think he's st- uh, on the shelf again or, yeah. or still dealing with something else. But you're right. Yeah, in terms of culture guy, uh, team favorite for sure. Jordan Cairo was a guy that, that we've talked about, you know, often on this show and, and, you know, just blues hockey in general. The game he had against the uh, Bruins a couple of nights ago, he he, he got the assist to Braden Shen. I thought that was a great decision, great pass. And it seems as though his teammates were, were excited about him making that direct, that right decision. Have you seen kind of a, a little bit of a transformation in his play from beginning of the season to right now? I think they're excited that they scored a goal. No, no well, yeah, that too. <laughs> but but I think I think you're right. And there were some moments in that game where you looked at Jordan Kyrou's play and you said, okay, now you're now you're showing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think there are you know three or four times in each game where you say you know that needs to be better. But yeah. that's the case with everybody. You yeah. know, I I don't want to get a reputation here of picking on Kyrou, uh, but you know with the contract comes the expectations, uh, so on and so forth. So so yeah, he had made a great play there, first assist of the season. I just can't believe that that's the case. I mean. We're talking about some of these numbers yeah. with uh, O'Reilly and Cairo not putting up numbers. So I do think things are cyclical. Teams do work their way out of this. You can't be this team for a month. I don't know that it's possible with all the talent they have, but Jordan Cairo is up on that list of players up near the top that needs to be a lot better. This one from the text line. How much did losing Jim Montgomery, and he took a head coaching job, they were going to lose him, but how much has it hurt them? I think that uh, there is an impact. You can't deny it. I think when I went in that locker room to work on the Jim Montgomery story, and I talked, I didn't know this, but when I talked to several players, oh, yeah, we had a text thread, thus three. You know, then you go to the next locker. Oh, yeah, these three had a text thread. So he had that communication with small groups of players, and he worked with them. I had the anecdote where uh, uh, Robert Thomas said that he gave me three game segments where I needed to do this, I needed to do that, and then that would make the game fun for me. And, And so I think that has an impact. I tried to err on the side of caution when I explained uh, what he meant to that locker room because Jim Montgomery, if he were still here, the Blues are still giving up goals in front of their net, right? They're not probably going to the net as hard as they need to. They're probably not making these tape-to-tape passes that we see them missing. So I, I think that if he were here, he'd be able to calm these guys down a little bit after a loss and the guys who aren't producing. But, you know, would they be 5-4? and four? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when I watch them, it seems as though I watched the Bruins and, and that game, the Bruins were moving a lot. They had a lot of movement. They were back, cutting back behind and they, they, they were just all over the place. And when the Blues are in the Ozone, they don't seem to have that much movement. Is it just a, a philosophy um, um, that maybe they need to change how they're how they're skating or how they're moving? Or is it they, they're just that's just how they are and that's how they're building? That's how they're going to play the game. Well, I think even though that they've transformed themselves a little bit, where from that 2019 team carry, you know, they kind of just got the puck into the zone and worked hard with it, and then eventually it led to a scoring chance or two, and so there was some zone possession time. You know, now with the Thomases and the Kairos and these guys, they're more of a rush team. Uh, sometimes it turns into one and done, so there's mm-hmm. not a lot of zone possession there. You know, you compare them against Boston. Boston's just such a great team. You know, they still have those guys uh, from yesteryear that are, are producing and coming together. The other thing is I think that, uh, you know, teams like Boston, they're just – 
eaten a situation like this alive with yeah. the way the Blues are playing. Yeah. So if, if there's the least little bit of ozone time for the Blues, you know, the Bruins are all over them because right. they know if they knock it out, then Blues are going to put their heads down. So mm-hmm. I, I think to answer your question, the Blues can be a team that, that puts it in the zone and works it, but not as well as they did a few years ago. You know, now they have to kind of generate chances by pouncing on pucks and, and moving it quickly and, and a lot of rush chances. JR, last year, the last playoff team had 97 points. To get to 97, the Blues would have to have 91 points in 71 games. If you squint real hard (laughs) and everything goes as well as it can, can they get 91 points in 71 games? It's going to be tough at this point. You hate to say that when all three of us, we watched a team, all four of us with Grant here, watched a team in 2018-19 that came from last place. And, and so I was one of those people that year that said it can't be done. And that's a Stanley Cup. We're just mm-hmm. a- asking the question, can they make the playoffs, right? So I think it's difficult. I think it's extremely difficult. Plus, we know from what we've seen in the past with Doug Armstrong, if he thinks his team isn't good enough to go far – he's going to disassemble a few parts. And I think they have a couple key parts that could help this organization for years to come if they make a move with a couple of these guys like an O'Reilly and like a Tarasenko. It's not like those guys are going to be back next year, right? Doug Armstrong, he can analyze a team way better than we can, and we just determined that they are probably aren't going to make the playoffs. So why not get value for guys rather than let them walk out the door like you have several times with UFAs, Petro and Bacchus being the most notable, and Perron being the most notable ones recently. Right, and here's how I look at it, Randy. So let's say that Tarasenko, one of the two's got to go, right? You're not going to be able to afford both of them. Right. And if you look at O'Reilly, and this isn't to be critical of him, he accepts a lot of blame, but it's probably going to take, what, three, four years, maybe a fifth year of term to get the AAV down just a little bit. Do you want to give O'Reilly that kind of term when it looks like he's slowing down a little bit, at least production-wise? And is he a part of this future for the next four or five years? So that might not make sense either. So regardless of how the Blues are playing right now, let's say they have a few more wins. They have a few more wins. What's, what's, <laughs> does it make sense to continue on with these guys and give that some more term to an O'Reilly? No. When you can turn these guys into and not Doug Armstrong's MO. Yeah, either. I don't think so either. My question for you is if O'Reilly doesn't continue to perform well, what do you get for him at the trade deadline? If if there is if he's not performing well and he continues on at John Kelly saying until March, if it continues at this path, what can you get for him at the trade deadline that would be worth trading him? So it's a great question, but here's the thing I keep uh, going back to is teams don't make trades like this in November. So the trade deadline is March 3rd. Mm-hmm. There's so much time before then. If O'Reilly has 18 goals at that point, you know maybe he looks more attractive. If he's still sitting on a couple, then he's not going to be as attractive. But I think even if his production isn't there, GMs around the league look at these guys and they, they say, look, that guy's got the pedigree. Mm-hmm. That guy's done it before. I know that if I plug him on my good playoff team, he's going to help us. So what can they get? You know, I think uh, you're still talking about a guy who's 32 years old. So I think a first rounder is reasonable. I, I think a prospect's reasonable. I think a package is reasonable. You're going to be able to get something good for O'Reilly. Does Barbashev go too? I, I think so for this reason. I think because as good of a player as he's been for the Blues and he can help this team, I think he's going to price himself out in UFA. So if you don't trade him and you keep him, are you willing to pay him 3.5 or what have you when you're possibly uh, in a situation where the cap's not going up? 
Great stuff, Jr. Thank you very much. Yep, thanks. Good to see you guys. Great to see Good you. Seeing Hope you, that sir. knee feels better. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> it's it's actually not hurting. It's just an excuse not to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. It's it's called the uh, stay on the couch apathy. <laughs> My life story. <laughs> Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from the Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we talked earlier about what a mess the Washington Commanders are. It's even more a mess now this morning. We'll tell you about it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Yesterday, the Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine announced that he's going to hold a press conference this afternoon, noon St. Louis time, to make a major announcement about the Washington Commanders. The Commanders found out about that uh, press conference on Twitter and issued their own statement that said, in part, less than three months ago, a 23-year-old player on our team was shot multiple times in broad daylight. Despite the out-of-control violent crime in D.C., today the Washington Commanders learned for the first time on Twitter that the D.C. Attorney General will be holding a press conference to make a major announcement related to our organization. The commanders have fully cooperated with the AG's investigation for nearly a year. As recently as Monday, a lawyer for the team met with the AG who did not suggest at that time that he intended to take any actions. Uh, They went on to say that uh, rather than deal in offbeat legal theories rather than doing the hard work of making the streets safe for our citizens, including bringing to justice the people who shot one of our players. That was yesterday from the Washington Commanders. This morning, CD, their president, Jason Wright, a former teammate of yep, yours, right? Yep. With what team? Atlanta. Atlanta Falcons. Yep. Uh, he issued a statement that said, and again, this is in part, I just spoke to Chief Conti, conveying how much we, the commanders, support the work of MPD, as well as public safety leaders and elected officials working to reduce gun violence and crime across the region. The earlier statement expressed our external counsel's ongoing frustration with the Attorney General's office as they've been nothing but earnest and transparent in their communications with this team. So basically what the team did, even though they had a statement released on Washington Commander's letterhead, was they released, Jason Wright released a statement throwing the external lawyer under the bus. So here's what I, when, when you read that this is what I imagined happened. Dan Snyder who is the main one who they are probing and trying to figure out what he's done or is doing wrong, sent someone that he knows in his organization a memo, hey, we need to respond to this, and did not let everyone else know, just him and the person that he needed to send the memo to knew and wrote said statement, which in turn led the president of the team, Jason Wright, to come back and say, hey, we did not send this, this is not from us, this is not from our organization, and here's an important here's an important thing to always remember. Always remember who you get in bed with. Always remember who you work with, who you're working for, and how they do business. Because in this moment, Jason Wright, who is a man, and I, I know him personally, is a great, upstanding, outstanding man, a man of faith who does everything, for the most part, that I've known in my time of knowing him, does things the right way, does not take short st- short, uh, shortcuts, does not cheat, does not go around. He goes right through and does it the right way. And so you now you're in a, in a position where you're the team president and you're working for a guy who is potentially on the outs, ready to ready to sell the team, but does not want to go away quietly. He does mm-hmm. not want to go away without a fight. He does not want people to be able to slander or say anything negative, even if it's true about him. He's not going to fight. That He's not going to go away quietly. He's going to fight, and that's who he is, and that's what he is. And so you're in a position where you have to clean up the mess 
of the person that is your boss. And, and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. It's unfair. I don't know that that's what happened specifically, but that's what it feels like yeah. happened and what took place. And Jason had to say, hey, these are not our thoughts internally. These are external people who are who are placing their opinions on what's going on around the city. And we are not saying the same thing. And poor Brian Robinson is going to get asked about this. And, and, and his agent is the one that brought it to light. His agent yeah. said, I don't know why we are using our you know, using this young man's situation as a as a reason to to put all of this information out there. Don't put his his shooting incident as a reason to say, oh, the the, the city isn't doing this or the organization. That has nothing to do with anything. He is a he is a great, great individual, Jason is, and the organization hopefully can figure things out. Meanwhile, tonight, Thursday night football, you've got the four and five Atlanta Falcons against the two and seven Carolina Panthers. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. You got. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Amazon Prime. Jeff Bezos might be a very intelligent businessman, but football savvy? Uh-uh. No. He listen. The NFL walked away laughing at this man when they gave him those Thursday mm-hmm. night games. These are the. This is the Thursday night slate. Jeff, how you feel? Yeah. Bro, these teams are terrible. Uh, They've had. I think it's been one good Thursday night game. Yeah. This season. Yep. And my guess would be that he's going to Roger Goodell and saying, buddy, you better get me the commanders. I, I better get them. If, they, if those are the games you're going to give me, I better get the commanders. I, I, you would hope. You would hope that that is on the list of things for him because he did not get a good slate of games for Thursday night. The product is – the audio, I believe, has gotten better. It was terrible mm-hmm. the first three or four weeks. The games have been a snoozer. The 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 Broncos and Colts played to a nine to six victory. Yeah, like, what are we doing? Two coaches, man? one coach that got fired, another coach that should He's get on fired. He's his way out. Like, what are we doing? You you Jeff Bezos, you need a you need a football consultant. You can call me. Yep. And CD ten weeks ago, we're in week 10. 10 weeks ago, the opening game of the season was Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams hosting Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Matthew Stafford has been placed in concussion protocol. May not play this weekend. Josh Allen is day-to-day with a UCL injury in his elbow, and we don't know if he will play this weekend either. Randy, I I have that issue in my hands. My fingers go numb if I leave my elbows bent too long. Throwing a football 30, 40 times, I couldn't imagine trying to do that. It is a painful thing. Hopefully, you know, it's not something that lingers the entire year. They can find a way to get the the inflammation and get it to calm down a little bit. But this this is a big deal for them. If he's unable to play, we pick most teams pick them to be a Super Bowl contender and possibly win the Super Bowl. Yeah. If he is unable to play, you can throw those those hopes out of the window. It's well, not going to happen. Keenum. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Case is a good person, I'm sure. <laughs> he ain't Josh Allen. <laughs> no, and I wonder if it happens in football. We have Tommy John surgery in baseball, named after a pitcher in right. baseball. Like, if he's the first quarter, and I don't know if a quarterback has had it yet or not, but would it be Josh Allen's surgery if he has to have mm, it? Maybe. I don't know. I think they keep, keep calling it Tommy John. Yeah, somebody, 65780, if you remember a quarterback that I'm had sure to there, have Tommy John. I'm sure there has been. You'd but think it's not so. as it's not as uh, prominent in the NFL because the, I, the, the amount of pitches versus the amount of throws you make in the NFL is, I don't think they equate. And, well, and, and, and the angles and, you know, the different Quarterbacks things. are a little bit tougher than pitchers, too. That, too. I mean, they are going to go I say, gonna I've got say, a bad I elbow. I wasn't going to say that, Randy. You can say that. I wasn't. <laughs> 
That's CD. I'm Randy, and that's uh, NFL News and Notes on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch towards a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. We've got tickets for the Eagles to give away and a little bit more on baseball free agency coming your way here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Yeah, the Baby Sharks are in town tonight. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Tickets still available for the for the Blues and Sharks at Enterprise. And don't forget, the crowd is going to sing the anthem tonight. That's important to know as the Blues, on their closest date to Veterans Day, honor veterans today with their salute to military brought to you by Boeing. And we would advise you to be at your seat early so that you can sing the national anthem. CD. We've got some tickets to give away, two tickets to the Eagles next Tuesday, November 15th. It's their Hotel California 2022 tour, and it's at Enterprise Center. They're going to perform the entire Hotel California album in its entirety with an accompanying orchestra and choir, plus a full greatest hits set. There's still tickets available. You can get those, or you can find a bonus chance to win free tickets at 101ESPN.com or on, on the 101 mobile app. But right now, if you text in, to the text line 65780 and tell us how many Super Bowls the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles, have played in. How many Super Bowls have the Eagles, not the Eagles that are going to be in concert next Mm. Tuesday, but the Philadelphia Eagles played in. And if you are texter number, let's go with uh, texter number 36, Brian Westbrook. Let's go with uh, texter number 36. If you are the correct answer to what number of Super Bowls the Eagles have played in, you can get a pair of tickets to the Eagles concert next Tuesday night at Enterprise Center. CD, we were talking earlier about how the Giants said they really don't have a ceiling for free agency in terms of finances this year. Mm -hmm. And now we get word that the Yankees say that re-signing Judge is their top priority. Brian Cashman responded to a comment by one person who'd spoken recently to the Yankees camp and suggested, quote, they didn't seem overly confident or interested in re-signing Judge. Cashman said, whoever said that, I'd drug test him. Mm. Here, <laughs> that, is a, that is a bold statement from, mm-hmm. from Mr. Cashman. I wonder if he's frustrated that that the offer that they gave, Aaron Judge said, nah, they, they, do you think he should have came back with a better offer in that moment? Like, what what offer? What what number do you think? Because it was two hundred two thirty eight two thirty eight that he turned down. So if you come back and say, okay, Aaron, two thirty eight is not enough. Two sixty eight, two seventy. Is yeah. that does that does that make you feel? Because now they're going to be in the three hundred. I, I, I they have especially to be. with the the San Francisco Giants and they have to bid against them. They're 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 three hundred. Maybe 320 that they're looking at where where mm-hmm. you're trying to figure you're, you're going to be 90 million over the number that you you initially offered him. He's your best player. Andy is your face of the franchise and your franchise happens to be the Yankees. Yeah. You can't before opening day starts say, yeah, we made a guy a $238 million offer. Now when Mike Trout's got 440 and Bryce Harper has 330 and Manny Machado has 300 million, yeah. you can't say the face of the Yankees, we offered him $238 million. A whole lot of money. We, we aren't saying that it's not, but the Yankees are in a different universe and Aaron Judge has to get a more representative offer than that if you're going to publicize it.
Which is worse, them not getting the deal done last year or if the if the uh, San Francisco Giants outbid them this year for them? It would be worse for them to lose Aaron Judge. This year. Because there isn't a guy. The yeah. Angels aren't trading Otani. Mm-hmm. So then who's the face of the Yankees in 2023? Glaber Torres? Mm. Do they bring back Anthony Rizzo? I mean, that is not a great team. They don't. They don't have a face of the franchise guy waiting yeah. in the wings. And Harrison Bader over there. Right? Oh, Harrison, Harrison, Harrison might, Bader. He might wind up being <laughs> he might be. the face of the franchise. <laughs> yeah, it might be. So I think it's really interesting because you have a franchise that has a lot of wherewithal financially in the Giants saying, yeah, we really don't have a ceiling. We don't exactly have a blank check, but we don't have a ceiling for how much we're going to spend. And then you have the Yankees, who historically have not had a ceiling, but they also want to stay out of the luxury tax, yeah. and they're paying Garrett Cole all that money. They're paying Torres a lot of money, and they've got other needs. They've got bullpen needs, too. I'm really interested to see how this plays out. It sounds to me as though the the, the San Francisco Giants are offering a blank check. You're saying mm-hmm. that we don't have a ceiling, but but we're not offering a blank check. Yeah. I, I, you're kind of saying two different things when essentially yeah, the, you are saying— The, the check is signed. The, the, the only, the only the blank only part is, part, okay. hey, you put in well, the numbers you, the name, you want right? so that we can fill it in. <laughs> there right? you go. We know who's getting the money. We just don't know how much money is going to be. Now, put yourself in Aaron Judge's shoes, though. If the Yankees are close, if the Giants offer 320 and the Yankees offer 311, there's number one, you're branded already in New yeah. York. Yeah. You're beloved in New York. You go to San Francisco and you get off to a bad start, they're going to boo you. They are. $9 million out of 320 or 311. The obviously the endorsement opportunities should be greater in New yeah, York. Yeah, I think I would be inclined to go there where I'm already the man. Well, it, it and you're already there, so it's not a it's not a transition, and you're not moving to another space, another city. You know, having to learn you know all of the things that that organization does and how they do things. It's probably more com- comfortable to stay where you are if you're if you're Aaron Judge and the numbers are that close. I don't know that the numbers are going to be that close, though. I mean, if it, what if it's a, a thirty million dollar difference from from San Francisco to New York? Do you do you take the money in that in that situation? Cost of living is probably similar. It probably is, right? yeah. My, probably very similar. They, so, those numbers are outrageous in in San Francisco as well as in New York. And he is going home. If he yeah. goes to the Giants, he is going home. I I would think. When I get to that point, I mean, there's no way I could ever spend $330 million. I guess I'm different than a lot of people. I know for the agents it's an yeah. ego thing, right? Yeah. That would be a really tough choice. It would be. I mean, that, that that's why he's getting paid the big bucks, and we're talking about it. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. So it, it'll be interesting. Four o'clock is the start. And maybe the Cardinals will sign last year. Uh, who they, they signed Drew Verhagen, I think, on the first day of free agency. So maybe the, they'll start slow and then pick it up as they go along. We're going Wilson today. Let's do it. Four o'clock? Four, yeah, 401. 401. The card will send an <laughs> <PM>. email. <laughs> you got it. Uh, great job today by our producer engineer in for Matthew Rocchio. Uh, are we going to get anything close to uh, a premium Rocchio when he comes back from Vegas on Monday? Oh, he's going to be he, he's gonna be well relaxed, well, he's going to be gonna ready be to roll. Done. He's going to be toast. <laughs> he's going to be He's gonna be relaxed. He, well, listen, I, if Rock, Rock was listening asleep. earlier, he was listening earlier, so if you're listening now, Take your time. It's a, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. <laughs> exactly. Vegas is a marathon, not a sprint. Enjoy yourself, but be cautious because yeah. it can catch up to you fast. Yep. And Monday will be here before you know it. <laughs> and a great job by Graham Francis today. Thank you, sir. And we'll see you tomorrow, right? Thank you, guys. Yes. CD? Yes, sir. Thank you. Greatly Thank you. appreciate it. Come on, give us a go, Hawks. <sighs> we, we are.
Should be we're playing. We're not going anywhere. Should we're home. Playing. We're home. No. We're not going. <laughs> I give you a better one. Let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> and we, th- we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.